God damn it, boys, I told you, E3's a waste of industry money. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 81 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. This might be the most awkward, but possibly greatest way we've ever done the podcast. I like um, it. It's a little different. We are... Uh, Hanging like vampire bats from the <laughs> ceiling. <laughs> uh, this is our first ever live show, guys. Uh, we're in our hotel room. It is uh, the last day of E3. We're all very, very tired. We have seen so many things. My, my voice is a little hoarse. Um, I was doing a lot of yelling and screaming, which we'll probably talk about. Please tell me more. No (laughs) way. I'm so shocked. Yeah, we'll probably talk about that here in a little bit. Uh, Derek, introduce yourselself. Hi, I'm Derek Hemsberg, and I'm Embryon on the boards, and this is the Dark Souls of Podcast. Yes. I I am the Dark Souls of third hosts, uh, (laughs) Stephen Myring, Talos on the boards. I am the Dark Souls of Taylos's on the boards. (laughs) You can't just say one. Now, we also have basically the entire RPG fan crew in the room right now, so I'm going to introduce people, and they are going to be able to shout in whenever they talk about, whenever we reach things that they've talk, talked about, seen about, and this is going to be very freeform. I apologize in advance if this just ends in utter disaster, so... I am not drinking. <laughs> I, I'm actually not. I'm not either. I'm trying to be very good over here. I, I would be if I could, but... Yeah, so if you guys hear, like, some clanking in the background or any typing, that's because we are fast, uh, like, getting stuff done, writing Kyle, (laughs) (laughs) or getting previews done, we're doing everything we can to... uh Bring you all the information on stuff that we saw at the uh, at the e 3 It was your first show, too. Yes, it was my first show. And And mine. And Andrew's. Wait, who are you? I am Andrew. Um, As you can tell from my accent, I am not from America. I am Australian. I'm Flaming. right? Very close. Um, and I'm flaming rift on the boards. Huzzah. Awesome. Uh, the guy who was pounding away at the keyboard like a madman was our managing editor. The Dark Souls of managing editors, Kyle. <laughs> Kyle DeMiller. We decided that he needs to get rid of the E and just be Kyle E. Miller. That is the beginning of my middle name, you know. Is it Edward? Edward? Edwin? Eduardo? Edward. Elijah. Edgar? Edgar. Eduardo would be cool. Usus. Uh, we also have a young lady who is still playing Final Fantasy IV. She was actually narrating it the other day, and I thought about just slapping her. <laughs> and I would have slapped him twice as hard. Hi, I'm she, she would, too. She's able to. <laughs> yeah, she would have, like, demolished me. And uh, Mike's probably going to be very quiet in the background, but I would be very remiss if I didn't include... Include? Include? <laughs> the Dark Souls of graphic design. Oh, my God. Forgot, and then we will find Dr. Wiley. I forgot on the Dark Souls of Dragoons. Yes, sir. And Mike? Who's Mike? Mike. Actually, I prefer the Dark Souls of Creative Director. Okay. <laughs> Can I be the Dark Souls of Australians? <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. I have this vision of a nightmare wall of me right now. I will, I will, I dual wield boomerangs and wear a Kubra. <laughs> <laughs> the real Australian begins oh, here. What was it you said earlier? We went, we actually uh, took a little trip to the Santa Monica Pier earlier today because we wanted to show Andrew that 
the entire United States is in the cesspool of filth and disgustingness everywhere. So, rather than let him uh, enjoy the, the wafting scent of the bum tunnel that we walk through on the way to E3 every year, we actually took him somewhere nicer. So we went to Santa, Mon <laughs> we went to Santa Monica, and uh, we went down to the beach, and uh, I was walking on the sand with my shoes, and Andrew was making fun of me because he said I was... What did you say? A bogan. I was a bogan. <laughs> well, sort of. So you now have to explain what a bogan is. Not living is. up to the whole stereotype, right? No, no, definitely not at all. But um, I think I think comparing it to rednecks was, was possibly the best. But that was all this guy. Right? We also use it to describe people who are wearing shoes on the beach. Okay. Well, I'm officially I'm a temporary bogan at the very least. Hopefully, only temporary. Yeah. Rob and I have killed like a hundred thousand bogans in Diablo. Yeah, we really I mean, have. Not are they there. bogarts or bogans? No, they're bogans. Are they bogans? Bogart is like don't bogart all my yuhu, like the nineteen nineties thing. Oh, and so speaking of Diablo, I just wanted to bring this up. Um, so one of the announcements at the show was they uh, they're going to be adding some interesting content to the PS4 version of Diablo three or PS3 also. I don't know, but uh, they're going to be adding some uh, enemies from The Last of Us. As well as some, what was it, like equipment from Shadow yeah, of the Colossus? Yeah, Shadow of the Colossus That's super armor. cool. Yeah. Uh, wear that all day. That We're actually, coming. that makes me want to go and get the PS4 version even though I have it on PC. Uh, so I think we'll start at like the beginning of the show. Um, we all came in. Was Most, it the part when you texted me every four seconds as I was getting off an airplane asking me to hurry up? Yeah, it was really obnoxious, dude. <laughs> like we, we were just completely disorganized getting out of the airport. Uh, but Monday night, we went and saw the Sony press conference. Uh, that's kind of how we, we all started E3. Well, I went to Microsoft. Oh, did you go to Microsoft? Oh, yeah. see, now, okay, there we go. Well, that's, that's what you saw at Microsoft. Yeah, tell us all the RPGs you Nothing saw Nothing of value, the end. No, um, I wasn't super thrilled with Microsoft's conference hey. in general. It was just like, shooty McShooty game with gun. Uh, <laughs> shooty McShooty. No, we were talking about, like, how can we make these deeper, so... Uh, it was like, in a world where guns are shot, the gun is his mother. <laughs> He's never had a gun. But didn't quite like this before. To be fair, yes. like I, I think we will we'll do a section, guys, where we're gonna talk about like all the stuff we saw at E three, not yeah. just not just RPGs, but I think Sunset Overdrive did kind of take the piss out of the modern shooter a little bit, which mm. which I kinda liked. I don't like, care. I, I, it, I don't know. it definitely looked better than the other brown grey shooters that were being shown at the show. Um, but there was a really, I don't, I don't know if, if you want to talk about it now, but there was a really, to me, disturbing trend of hyper-violence being on display everywhere. It was so, it was omnipresent, and it was really over the top to the point where it actually made me uncomfortable and kind of nauseous. It was a little bit weird, too. Like, at the Sony conference, they're showing Ubisoft uh, Far Cry 4, and this is a game that is gorgeous, takes place in the Himalayas, yeah. has, like hang gliding squirrel suits like squirrel suits and rock climbing and everyone's like snoozing through those parts but then when he kills a guy with like a knife which I've seen in every game ever everybody cheered I'm like uh, yeah so what? it really unsettled me because I felt I felt kind of like I wasn't sitting in an audience of journalists I felt like I was sitting amongst just a bunch of random tribalists fan, like yeah like fanboys and or like you said tribalists um the, every time a, a scene of gratuitous violence was shown in any of those trailers, like the audience went wild, and I, I was really confused. I was like, "Is this really the prevailing trend? Like, is this what people want 
so badly out of games right now is just hyper hyper violence yeah that that reminds me of what was it maybe uh two years ago now when they showed um the last of us and it was the first game play yeah. demo for that and the way that the demo ended with like the dude getting blasted with the shotgun and it just cut to black yeah and i remember like i was didn't people cheer though yeah but i i was chilled like mm -hmm. I, I was honest to god chilled like which is the effect they were going for. Yeah, like, like the violence... I, I have nothing wrong with games being violent. You know, we're going to talk about some violent games, but at the same time, the, the violence needs to fit the world. And what I saw a lot of, unfortunately, was the violence just being there for violence's sake or it not doing anything right. to help with the tone or the theme of the game. Like, when a dude presses a button in Far Cry 4, which I thought the Far Cry 4 demo, like Steven was saying... It started off really, really cool. Like uh, there was very some... atmospheric. Not yeah. like you know, they, it looked like they were emphasizing more environmental hazards than call an elephant and blow up a gas tank to murder six guys type stuff. And don't get me wrong, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell you I don't play games like that because I do like Far Cry Three. Like it's you know, I'm not hailing it or anything, but like it, it's it's interesting that the the cheer was not the cool new features. It was the features we've seen in every Far Cry since the first one. Yeah. Yeah, so it was um, the stab guys thing. So Derek, you would say that you, you didn't really see anything at uh, Microsoft worth preaching about. Yeah, well, the, well, there was the, the, the what? Well, I, there wasn't really as far as RPG stuff goes. They they only showed The Witcher, and there was a really brief teaser for Phantom Dust, and I'm not sure if He's that would necessarily. Yes, <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. He's Phantom got Dust. two swords. Daddy, why does he have two swords? Because he's twice as cool. Uh, I'm not sure if Phantom Dust fits within our coverage. It is like a um, the original was an action-ish game where you built a deck of abilities, um, and I think it had some RPG-ish aspects to it. Uh, not really. Like, well, the see the thing is, we cover Soul Sacrifice. Oh, One wait, of those no, 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 stop, stop, Derek. What game? What? What game did we cover? Oh, what game did we cover? What game did we cover, Derek? Uh, he said Soul something or other. What was it? Oh, oh, Soul Sacrifice. Nice. I can't really do it. I'm kind of. I feel kind of. Soul sacrifice. I feel kind of sick. Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but it's no. My current. Well, gotta be metal. The guys have been making me do Doctor Doctor Light impressions because we went to Video Games Live last night and they had a segment that was the ten worst instances of voice acting in video games. And one of my personal favorites was there, which was now bear my Arctic laugh from Shining Force Three, but. They had the the clip from Mega Man Eight that was like, "When we find the energy source, we'll find Doctor Lowry." It's like sleeping through his life. He was kind of. I love the way they kept his stutters in there too. We must go there immediately, but Mega Man. <laughs> I don't. I don't actually remember. Exactly so we'll definitely talk about Witcher. We we will talk about. Witcher. We're gonna get there. Yeah. For, so for me, for me, the Microsoft conference wasn't um, very much. I don't want to be down on people who were excited by stuff there but it was a lot of shooting and a lot of violence and I'm fine with violence when it serves a purpose when it actually has like a narrative function or or, or, or does when something it's not hyper violence right when it's I mean when it's just there to be like oh yeah cheers it up when it's there I, to be cool it's it's not okay yeah and it, we're, we're so strangely socialized that we think that that's cool I mean, in some other cultures, that would be absolutely. yeah, like that would be insane. We're cheering at like the Far Cry thing where a guy gets like his throat ripped open, but the moment a nipple shows up, everyone's like, "Oh my god, this is indecent!" No, no, I don't, I don't really understand it. So, not it, Microsoft. I, I, I don't want to. 
I was going to say if I had... It to... was underwhelming for you, but <laughs> in terms of people who own an Xbox One and are excited about the library, it was fruitful. I, I guess. I mean, I, I thought it was a lot of boring stuff. I was, was kind of... What, what, what happened? We talked about uh, E3 predictions last week, and I threw out there, you know, we might get underwhelmed by Kingdom Hearts... I almost said Kingdom Hearts 15. Kingdom yeah. Hearts Kingdom 3. Kingdom Hearts 15? I can't wait. Amazing. Uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 and Final Fantasy 15, and then the next day, Square Enix was like, yeah. Yeah, you gonna, were right. I thought we were not going to be there. I thought we would at least see some trailers. They indeed underwhelmed. They did yes, not show them at all. They did not show anything. But I will it say... It was a teaser at the end of Cage 2.5's uh, right. trailer. But I will say, to get, get us back on the RPG kick a little bit, at the EA conference, I would have rather them not shown anything about Mass Effect 4 rather than here's some concept art that we're working on and we're, we're doing it guys like for the second year in a row like they didn't really show anything about Mirror's Edge they didn't really show anything about Battlefront yeah didn't they tease Mirror's Edge before the show like that they were going to have it yeah nothing and then uh, Mass Effect 4 I would have rather them say nothing so there, there was kind of this like I a dissonance with the PR campaign in a lot of ways for games. I was kind of sitting there observing and going like, well, if you don't have anything to show, don't show anything. If you do have something to show, great. But I kind of want them to keep their mouths shut if they don't have anything to do. But like you didn't something. even you didn't even want to know that they were working on it. But yeah, we knew, think, of, think but, of it as an announcement trailer. But, but we knew that they were working on it already. Kind of. But they didn't formally like they they were working on it, but they had not formally announced it. Like a game. Right, sort that, of well, follows that, that lifespan that, of it gets formally okay, Rob, announced. Rob's making the J-O motion here. No, I, but that happens a lot. Where it's, it's kind of like we do know things are happening. Like last year, we knew that there was some kind of Zelda title in development for Wii U, and it was officially announced at this year's conference. That's true. That's so, true. like, yes, we knew, but at the same time, I, I like that, that them coming out and being like, look, here is the actual thing. Like, here's a, a snippet of it. You can actually see that, that it is in production and we're going full force on it. I'm remembering like the God of War 3 trailer that was just, you know, Kratos and the rain and like thunder and then also the uh, Uncharted trailer last year. And I think that you could say that they maybe went from like a teaser to a real teaser this year when it came to Uncharted 4. It was in-game footage. Yeah, but I, I think that showing concept art is... Now, now we're getting a little silly. Like now, we're not even showing a CG trailer well, to get it, people I, excited. I'll, I'll give you that. I think it depends on the game too, because like Mass Effect Four, we knew that was in development, so I could appreciate why it's like, all right, well, why show a thing to tell us something we already know? Versus, and again, I just want to draw more attention to this. We didn't know Phantom Dust was in development, so right. for them to just show that, that was cool teaser trailer, it's like, all right, cool. And also, they had said nothing about Phantom Dust coming. There was, so that was, was just really that cool. rumor of a trademark. But yeah. you know, now that it's coming, it's like, wow, that was, yeah, hilariously unexpected. Uh, so at Sony, um, we you know we weren't going to get a Final Fantasy announcement, which I, I think I said to you guys that it didn't feel right to not have. I, I, you know, I make fun of Square Enix a lot because you know it's fun to do, and I want them to be awesome. And I think you know, fourteen has really spoken to the fact that they're going in an awesome direction. Yeah, but. Liz doesn't like that game. I hate Final Fantasy fourteen. With her four hundred thousand hours logged into Miss it. Miss Elite over here. So we go to the Leviathan okay. Challenge. She soloed it. <laughs> okay, I, you know she she did she on did, her character she could solo it, but let's not deal be real the, realistic. The finishing blow. Um, we went to the Leviathan Challenge, and uh, which was basically like a slightly retooled version of the Leviathan Extreme fight in Final Fantasy fourteen. So we get there, and we're standing in line to fight it. 
and before we go in, there is a representative that came around with an iPad that had like some strategy pictures on it that he was showing us, and he's like, "All right, so is it is anybody familiar with this fight?" And Liz is like, "Oh yeah, I've she beaten it like four times." She looks at him dead in the face and goes, like, "You should see the extreme two mode." <laughs> and so he's oh. like, "You need to do this and this and this," and Liz just turns to the other people in our group and she's like, "Okay, yeah, so this is what you do. I've already done this before." So soul level one, new game plus Liz over here. I just said, oh, Leviathan also jumps through the middle because that throws a lot of people off. Because apparently. he does. No, I'm. I'm, I'm <laughs> Did he look at you and go? Oh, he's like, yeah. I'm he, hyperbolizing. He's like, oh yeah, he does that too. Then. I'm hyperbolizing for comedic <laughs> effect, but yeah, Liz, Liz, uh, totally. She she helped us dominate that. I actually got carried through that fight. It was kind of funny. Carried. Uh, I died. But anyway, a massive tangent on Final Fantasy fourteen. It's, uh, it's gonna happen. It's I, gonna happen. That's fine. That's fine. This is probably tangent um, episode number one. It didn't. <laughs> it didn't. Uh, well, let, let's talk about the fact that it didn't feel right to not have a Final Fantasy game at the conference. That's what I meant to say. Like, that, which is amusing because so Sony. We, we were all saying Sony's conference was long. It was like a there, little over two hours. We thought it was over at one point when when the No Man's Sky trailer. They kind of which that game looked crazy. Awesome. But they they made it seem like it was all over, so I was actually getting up. Then we had another 30 <laughs> minutes of stuff. Yeah. And it wasn't exclusive stuff. It was like, oh, best on PlayStation, but also on Xbox yeah. One. Which makes it very strange to me that they did not care to announce Final Fantasy Type-0 HD. Oh my god. That, was, that could have been a megaton. Like, that would have been like, you guys have wanted a boom trailer! That would have been huge. I think, that, I think it would have made the audience go wild. I think, on the other hand, though... Uh, Mike pointed out, and he doesn't want to talk because he's, you know, over there working hard. But he pointed out that it may have been a last-minute decision. Like they may have been, they've been working on it for a while. Um, so it's possible that they didn't have anything prepared. So in the the conference, they rehearsed these things way in advance. So it's possible that maybe it was just like we didn't have it, so now we're announcing it. Because I can't imagine the logic was well. It's also on Xbox One. We don't want to announce it because they announced a bunch of stuff or talked about a bunch of stuff like Batman, Far yeah. Cry. Sony's press conference was very. Uh, Indie focused and first party focused for the like first sixty two thirds of it, sixty mm percent -hmm. two thirds, and then when they got to the third party stuff, I got oh, I number I I stopped caring a little bit. Um, I, okay, I'm gonna do it. First off, I want to apologize to everybody that was watching the Sony press conference that when they put. Uh, Miyazaki's name up there as game director and I just screamed my head off and that I apologize for he that he definitely shrieked I did like, <laughs> I know I was sitting next to him <laughs> my, ear, my the, ear has never been the same and as the, the Dark Souls as the uh, Dark Souls of Dark Souls fans I was also excited but I managed to keep my excitement quiet I could. that was reserved for the Kingdom Hearts 2 tournament we got a really really atmospheric dark trailer for Bloodborne the uh, new Sony exclusive from formerly Project Beast, <laughs> formerly Project Beast thank you Stephen uh, from the director of Demon Souls and Dark Souls uh, now president of From Software and they were very quick this morning to say don't worry that's not going to affect uh, Bloodborne uh, in other words making Dark Souls has made him the most successful person in that company yep uh, I don't want to belabor the point because I think if I talk too much about this game everybody here is going to shoot me Derek's <laughs> nose may start to bleed slowly from the brain it's possible but uh, it was funny because be appropriate for the game uh, yeah. Kyle and I on the first day uh, we went straight into the, the E3 like the what was it West Hall and so we went to Sony and we're like looking around and we just kind of wanted to see what was going on and at that point there was kind of a rumor that they were going to show because the, the trailer was pure CG, there was a rumor that they were going to show gameplay. 
So I, I just wanted to get in and see the Sony booth and see what was going on before I had to go to any appointments. And all the way in the back, uh, across from Little Big Planet 3, which is kind of funny when you think about it, was just a uh, small theater where you could see Bloodborne. And Kyle and I rushed in there, and we were actually at the first showing for Bloodborne on the first day of E3. And that was raw gameplay. It, it was very raw gameplay. Well, um, raw, but also awesome. Inexplicable. Like, just... Here's the game. Indescribably gorgeous. Like, the yeah, art design yeah. is absolutely stellar. Like, you know, it's rough and it's got a bad frame rate, so it's pretty close to final. Uh, <laughs> I said to Kyle, like, because uh-huh. at first you're like, is this going to be a lot like Dark Souls, uh, Demon Souls? There's been so much, you know, uh, so many rumors, so many teasers. We got a little bit of the, the images. And as soon as they boot up the game, like, you've got the behind the back, the camera looks just like it is in Demons and Dark Souls. Same um, audio cues for oh, like the, carrying uh, and souls. Exactly. Um, the uh, uh, it was just so amazing to see it running. It, it's got a nineteenth uh, century, like very Victorian setting, which is very different. There's a focus on disease. That's why it's bloodborne with an E. Uh, so focus on disease rather than something that that is focused with um, focused on death necessarily and like zombies and stuff. Which was really cool, and um, you know, at one point I said to Kyle, "It's clearly a Souls game because that frame rate." It's uh, terrible. Yeah, it. But like it, the, the, it was mo- the movement and the pace of the enemies and stuff, like it seems like they they're they're going in new directions in some ways, but they're keeping a lot of the touchstones that people like in that series. Wow, I'm the, sure, I'm gonna love it. The person who was uh, <laughs> our, our uh, presenter was talking about how there was a desire to make the game more about offense rather than defense because. As Kyle and I were talking about, we're very much the Dark Souls players that sit there with the shield up and kind of like absorb everything rather than uh, get in the face of get in the face of the enemies. Hobble but it, shield, yeah, hovel shield for the win. But it was really cool, like giving you the shotgun, and the shotgun actually creates the the parrying animation when you shoot somebody, it stuns them, and then you can obliterate them. There was there was blood to an almost absurd level. I actually hope they bring it down a little bit. Uh, yeah, so that's the thing is, like, again, I'm not against the hyper-violence, but watching it, a little bit of blood in his outfit is fine, you know, whatever, that's, you know, for effect, and, like, blood on the cobblestones looks cool. But the thing is, what they have now does not look cool. It's going to look unintentionally silly. Because it did, yeah. you're fighting the boss, and you are literally drenched in shiny red. And, like, the boss touches you, and he's drenched in shiny red. So it starts to just kind of look absurd. Yeah, it, it kind of looks like you're coming at the end of a Gallagher concert, for those that remember, like, the <laughs> old 1980s and 70s comedian who had smashed watermelon. Like, it, it got a little silly, but they uh, they talked about the difficulty. That was a really important facet of the game. The animations all look the same, like Steven's saying. Yeah, we, we could talk about it all day. I was very surprised that they're saying spring. Uh, but, you know, on the other hand, though... It's been in it development looked, for a long time. It looks far enough along, because I think Miyazaki's been working on it since probably Dark Souls 2 was in development as well. I think you're right, and um, it definitely looks next-gen. There was kind of a... One of the major themes that I saw at E3 was uh, the cross-gen games were readily playable. Like, I got to play things like Shadow of Mordor, which are cross-gen titles, and they're, they're clearly in playable format, but their graphics are kind of uh, not looking too great. Bloodborne looked incredible. It, it really, really did. It looked dense. 
Um, the, the background, the particle effects, the the hair on the whatever the hell the boss was. And my nightmare. He was like, like half of a torso with like bones and yeah. hair. No, but, but, but yeah, I don't want to talk too much more about it. I think it's going to have a huge reveal at TGS. I think it's going to be really, really big at TGS. It's, they're going to show a lot more. Really interested to see multiplayer components. But yeah, it was, it was cool to see Bloodborne. I thought that that was a re- really, really good surprise, even though we kind of knew it was coming. It was really good to see it in that respect. So let's leave Bloodborne alone. Uh, uh, other big news from the Sony press conference, and this is really big news for a lot of old hats, is uh, Grim Fandango HD. That was an awesome Woo! reveal. That's a Grim, cool. Yeah, right? Fantastic like, reveal. I don't know that anyone expected that. Like, maybe I missed, like, some sort of, like, trademark renewal, but, like, we... I talked to Pete McConnell, the composer at Video Games Live last night, and he even said, like, you know, they're going to be hopefully rearranging the music if they can find it, which was funny. Uh, it's like Kingdom Hearts 1 all over again. Yeah, he's like, we, we lost can find it. the music, we're going to rearrange it, they're going to be redoing the graphics, it's on PS4, and I, I think it's just PS4 and Vita at first or something they said, but like, that's a fantastic game that I think a lot of people haven't played, because it's difficult to play now. Um, so like, just the fact that like people who have never played it get to play it, and that Sony had like the foresight to work with Tim Schafer on that is really cool, because that's like... It's not something everybody wants to play, although it is something everybody should play. Yeah, that was. Well, really I've always wanted to try it, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so too, I was. Uh, I appreciate having a new, a new avenue to explore that. Yeah. yeah. So what else happened at Sony that was really cool? Um, well, it's not. It wasn't an announcement, but just like how, when Rob screamed for uh, Bloodborne, when they, they they were like, "Oh yeah, by the way, I guess the Vita exists," and they admit, they name dropped a couple games. They, <laughs> they name dropped Tales of Hearts R, and I'm like the one guy in the audience that you could hear going. Woo! Yeah, it went woo too, so, but quieter, I guess. It was, it was fine. It Remember? was funny, though, because it was like, oh, that's right, the Tales audience is small. That makes me sad. Maybe I didn't say it on the, uh, the pre-E3 podcast, but I did say that I, I kind of felt like Sony was going to leave Vita to die. It, I, I really not, hate being right, guys. They're that not leaving it to brutal. die. They're just... They're not positioning it as a platform where there are going to be AAA games. It's a peripheral now. It is a it's a it's an extension of PS4. <laughs> it's a it has lots of games on it, but they are not sitting there going, "We're going to spend marketing muscle to have Media Molecule make a game for this." We're not going to call Sony Santa Monica to make a beta game. That's too bad too, because yeah. I think that it would have been it would have been great for that. But I think that uh, I don't know if I said this in the last show, but like the PSP became an, an RPG behemoth and it's finally years of life. I think that the Vita is going to ble- be a place where um, niche games and indie games are going to thrive, and I can see them releasing well into the system's lifespan. Like there, there are still a couple of PSP games coming out. Like Exceeds uh, is bringing out Brand the Dark Revenant here. So I think the Vita is going to be in a similar position. I, that's just I don't think the Vita is going to die in obscurity, I think. Feeling. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I, just, I think it's going to get RPGs. It's going to be the platform of choice for like NIS and those smaller RPG developers. Right. is going to be publishing every weird RPG that comes out on it. Right. Like They, so, they put a decent effort into the in the, the early stage of the Vita's life cycle. They tried to do stuff like they did the little big planet for Vita. Mm-hmm. And they did Gravity Rush. And by the way, I'm surprised they didn't announce Gravity yeah, Rush Yeah, that was too. surprising. I was legitimately stunned by that. Yeah. Because that would have been really cool at E3. But I'm guessing, weirdly, I'm guessing that's probably Tokyo Game Show. Because I sort of like forget that mm-hmm. like the Tokyo Game Show is sort of the E3 of like the Japanese gaming scene. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the Dark Souls of Japan. <laughs> it's the Dark Souls <laughs> We're gonna of gaming conferences. Take a shot at whenever we do that. <laughs> it, no, it, actually, I, don't do that. <laughs> like Last year sort of gave us the wrong idea because they unveiled 15 and... 
Kingdom Hearts 3 at E3, mm-hmm. which I think is unusual, but that was time to get the most exposure. Right. Like, I think 15 is going to show up at TGS this year. I think that's what mm-hmm. they're saving it for. I think it's nice to want things. Or one of their own events. Like, I, I mean, I don't see how it could at least not have a trailer. Here's a good reason. Think of it this way. Think of all the games you saw and how they started to blend together. Yeah. Do you want your game in the middle of that? That's a good point. That's a really good point. Um, Versus TGS, which is much smaller and totally just centric on Eastern games. I think the the Vita was really being put forth as a device that you're going to use the whole remote play with, and that's going to be a huge aspect of your PlayStation 4 experience, which is cool. I really like that. Um, it's a cool additional use for your Vita, but having games on Vita is kind of nice. It was it was funny being in the lines. Uh, I, I was actually surprised being somebody at, at their first E3. I thought I was going to be in lines all the damn time, and thankfully I wasn't. But when I was, like, for a certain game that really underwhelmed, I do want to talk about it at the end of the show. Aliens Isolation? Uh, well, that underwhelmed, I think, mostly because <laughs> I sucked at it. Um, and I, I could, You did it wrong. I, I definitely did it wrong. Um, <laughs> but... I like Every, Kyle's commentary occasionally. Yeah, me too. Everybody that was playing a Vita was playing Persona, Persona 4 Golden. Golden. Oh yeah, that's funny. Every Everybody was uh, doing it right. Yeah, that that became the uh, oh your pers- well, I got to charge my Persona Four player. Like that's what we were joking around. Yeah, with. and all the ones that were right were playing as Chie. I'm using Chie. Uh, I don't know about that. What what was the oh god what was who owns who owns the hotel? Chie Chan is the best. What hotel? Yukiko. Yeah, I was I was always a Yukiko person. Yeah, like Yukiko. I just found her so nice. I'm all about Kanji, but you can't date him. That Tatsumi. <laughs> Uh, now to bring me some sausages. <laughs> <laughs> had enough beer at this point that I'm actually more puzzled by that than anything else. <laughs> I think we're gonna watch it after. Um, so yeah, let's leave uh, the Microsoft, uh, Microsoft, Sony. Um, let's move on to our our buddies at Nintendo. Um, yeah, they. So like, it's weird at E3 because we have a bad internet connection. So like things that are announced on the internet, like the live stream and stuff, we miss that and hear about it sort of through like mystical. Tales and t- Twitter mostly. Twitter, I and it's funny. Uh, we're we're here at E3, and I think a lot of us, myself included, is, uh, have not even seen most of the trailers that have been put out for a lot of the games that were announced. Like, like we know they were announced. We keep up on the news, and we. But there's no time to go see them. Right, like we don't we don't have a chance to actually get reliable internet and watch trailers. I mean, I guess we could have looked at some of them in the newsroom, but we were just. We were trying to get as much time as we could on the show floor, so... You get a lot of it through osmosis, too. Like, you're walking through the show, and as you're taking steps, you stop and crane your head up to watch the trailer, or in the case of the Kingdom Hearts 2.5 trailer, I sit down to make sure I'm fully wrapped, and I get to absorb all of it. Rob just kind of, like, sunk into the bed with his head in his hands. (laughs) But yeah, Nintendo really, uh, I think they did an excellent job this year. Mm -hmm. And you want games, you got them. Yeah, they, they announced that everything that people wanted. Well, not everything, but they announced a lot of things that people wanted and uh, and, and just kept bringing out and pumping out exciting announcement after announcement. And uh, all their stuff with Smash looks super cool. I know we don't cover it, but um, the Amiibo figures... Uh, <laughs> the, I did win a Smash The Amiibo round. figures are almost like RPGs themselves. Like, you know, They are RPG elements in figure form. Um, so I would love to see some interesting new concepts with those, like... Because it sounds like those just... They're things that you put stats into, right? Like, you get the figures, and then... You know what I always thought would be cool? And I talked to my friend about this once. Like, there's Kingdom Hearts as, like, a, a Disney Final Fantasy RPG. Like, why... And, like, there are crossover RPGs, like Project X-Zone. 
I would love to see a Nintendo crossover RPG. And, like, imagine with the Amiibo where you collect your Nintendo characters, they have stats, and you're playing it, and it's like, oh, I want to use a party of Mario, Marth, right. Olimar, and so, like, somebody else. And you put them all on the thing, and then you're using that party. Like, that would be a really cool it use. It sounds obscenely expensive, though. <laughs> yeah. Nintendo well. loves it. Nintendo loves money, and I yeah. love giving Nintendo money when they do good stuff. Yeah, and on the other hand, Skylanders is obscenely expensive, and people are buying into it. That like, is true. Right. I know, like the Nintendo. I characters. never, I never got into that. I couldn't get into Skylanders. I always liked the idea, and then they asked Mebo, and I was like, "Well, crap." There goes Skylanders money. terrifies me. I do have to represent Tuker though. Tuker likes Skylanders and is quite, quite fond of it. So I have to at least say it's not like we categorically are like. I, mean, whenever there's I never said product. there's anything wrong with them. I just whenever there's another product involved, it scares me. Yeah, I um. I walked over to Nintendo and I kind of was just observing a little bit and seeing the uh, the different Smash Brothers. I'm one of the rare people that thought that the 3DS Smash Brothers looked good, even though it was fighting with two. You other... don't even like Smash Brothers. Well, I love Why, why is that rare? Do people I, I, not like the 3DS Smash? No, or... I've heard everybody being so down on it. No, it's, be, it's guys, because it, like... it control, the controls are a little tough because like the shoulder buttons. Yeah, are, that's what I mean. But kind of hard to press. They're not quite as responsive. Uh, as say, like, right. Really I mean, on. even though that game was fighting with two other games for the worst titles of E3. Um, what? Smash Brothers? Oh, oh, Super Smash Brothers. Super Smash Brothers for Nintendo 3DS. That is... They should have given that a proper subtitle. They should have called it, like, Smash Brothers Punch or something. Like, yeah, they, they could have fixed that. Smash Brothers Frocket. <laughs> so I, um... <laughs> I, did you say Sprocket? No, like, Fracus? Fracus. Fracus. I love that word. Um, it's a great word. I want to have a Fracus with Mario. I go over to Nintendo... <laughs> Super Smash Brothers Hoedown. First off, I got Super Smash Brothers Beatdown. Are we done here? No, we're <laughs> getting there. We um, I, I gotta take a second to uh, take the piss out of uh, Nintendo fanboys here. I watched a lot of Hyrule Historia. I actually sat there and watched Warriors. Warriors. Sorry, Hyrule Historia. Hyrule Historia. That also disappointed. Whole different argument. Sorry. Oh my god. Uh, Hyrule Warriors. I watched about ten minutes of this game. I'm gonna call it right now. All right. If that game was Dynasty Warriors 37, no one would give a crap. Oh, no, duh. Like, I, come on, guys. I will agree with that. I think there's the novelty, too, is that you have to think, the first Dynasty Warriors game you play is pretty fun. Because it is. you have not played it before. And, you know, it's it's fun to just knock out bunches of dudes and go crazy. So, for a lot of people, this is going to be the first time they play it, so they're yep. going to have good fun with it for ten hours or something. <sighs> Only now they're going to play as characters that are Link and Zelda, Santa, and Impa, versus, you know, Junwei! And Lubu! Yep. But here's the, here's the thing, though. Like, I've played some Dynasty Warriors, and I never liked it. I did have a really good long go at Hyrule Warriors today, and while the demo itself was definitely fun, I can see why it would get draining and repetitive in the long term but it did include a bunch of new features and very Zelda-esque gameplay elements you don't find in Dynasty Warriors oh, really? so you pick oh, up you, really? you find items that you can then use to destroy bolts like so for example in the demo there were bombs you find them in a treasure chest halfway through which then allows you to go back and eliminate boulders to get to new areas as well as break up boulders to find treasure chests or extra no rubies under them okay, um, cool. so there's, there are things like that that do give it a little bit more Interest for things to do on a battlefield, right. apart from just hacking away at the same enemies over and over and over. Did right. you get to bomb some Dodongos? I did. Dodongos. <laughs> yep. The boss of the demo was King Dodongo, um, and just like in Ocarina of Time and smaller ones in other Zeldas, you throw bombs in the mouth 
and it explodes. Yeah, I mean, I don't don't so, get me wrong. I'm actually, not... let me ask one more quick question. And okay, today it's the E three podcast, not the RPG fan one. So we're not totally just talking about RPGs. Stop laughing, Kyle. Okay, keep laughing. Uh, did who did you play as Link? Or yes, I played as Link. Um, only Zelda and Link were available for play. Um, the interesting thing about I didn't have a go with Zelda, but the interesting thing about Link was you could pick either to play with the Master Sword or with the Fire Rod. Um, oh, which is an interesting choice. So instead of taking the sword, his master sword into battle, you take the fire rod and you can whack enemies with it. It seemed to morph into weapons sometimes as well, but you could also unleash torrents of fire similar to A Link Between Worlds. Yeah, after A Link Between Worlds, the fire rod's my favorite Zelda item. I, I, I think Andrew effectively defended Hyrule Warriors well, a little bit. I, I know, Rob, I think you're That right. eloquent voice, he was like, shut down. Yeah. Yeah. He, just, he just nailed me. Like, I, I, it would be fair, though. My 10-minute demo is not indicative of probably what a 10-hour game will be, and unless there is significant variation between each level, it definitely could get repetitive. Uh, on a sidetrack to that real quick, and then I definitely wanted to get you in, Stephen, but sidetrack to that was, um, I've been hearing that for like the entire time I've always been observing E3, so we're going on like maybe 15 years of watching E3 coverage in some fashion, some minor fashion, getting magazine uh, previews on it, and people always Reading say... your favorite RPG-centric website? Yes. Uh, people are always very like, oh, it's it's hard to get a feel based on a short demo. And I always, I kind of found that as an excuse. Until I played Alien Isolation and I just got wrecked by this game and I just wasn't, I wasn't feeling it. I, I couldn't get into it. It was hard being on the show floor and trying to figure out the mechanics of the game. Like, I, I could tell that something wasn't connecting while I was playing this game. And then, you know, Kyle was much, was much higher on it than I was. It made me panic. Yeah, I, it, it feels exactly like the first Alien movie. Yeah, the Superior. See, I didn't get a chance to play it, and that is the best thing I could possibly hear about it because, like, it's very, very terrifying. That was it the is. failure of Aliens: Colonial Marines was that it was well terrible. That, that and the dancing aliens, <laughs> among many, many other things, is that like the experience for Alien has to be one of two things: aliens or Alien. It needs to either be you fighting a bunch of aliens or you getting murdered by one. Yeah. And so, um, you know, not not to belabor that point, but it, it is hard to get a feel off of these demos sometimes. So you're uh, saying you you na- now you know that it actually yeah is. no it, it actually is, and I I, I you know I, I can always come with my hat in my hand and say no those people were actually right like getting a uh, maybe a 15 20 minute demo of Shadow of Mordor and you know just being inundated with information like okay if you hold down the right trigger and press triangle you'll do this but if you hold down the left bumper and triangle you'll do that but sometimes you want to hold down so i'm like jesus oh, and those are the kind of things that you were actually play, if you played the game from the beginning then those things would be introduced, introduced that, yeah exactly exactly step, so. uh so that was that was interesting now steven i want you want to get you back, sorry to sidetrack but i wanted to get you back in on hyrule warriors there a little bit if you can remember your point oh no i was just gonna say that i agree with you that i think I mean, though, with Andrew's comments in mind, I, I, I retract a little bit, but I do think the interest level in that game would be almost nil if it wasn't for Zelda. Oh, agreed. But agreed. on the other hand, the fact that it has Zelda in it and that it could be an introduction to the series, it could be a, a you know, it's going to have Nintendo involved, so it's going to have higher production values than the average Dynasty Warriors. I don't necessarily think that it's not a bad it's thing. a wash. Like, yeah. to have a new experience, especially on the Wii U where they need lots of games. You know, I, I don't really see a problem with that. You, yeah. you know, if it's a ten-hour game that gets a little repetitive towards the end, it's still you know m- most games. Yeah, that's that is the, true. Yeah, it's uh, a decent you, length. You can't underestimate the selling power of Zelda. That's true. Plus, it's a Zelda game where you actually can play as Zelda. It's amazing. That's I, only I, I hope. I hope Zelda is able to save the princess someday. <laughs> <laughs> the um, 
the other thing that really struck me at Nintendo's uh, conference was there was this one little kiosk, and it had Xenoblade Chronicles X. Yes! Which was the second in the three-way running for worst titled game at E3. You're the one who's complaining about that the most. That's a bad title. I think you might be the only person who thinks that. I think that's a terrible title. Listeners, I want you to write in and ask if you think Rob is the only one who thinks Xenoblade Chronicles X is the worst title. Okay, so can we just talk about how that basically made my entire life worth living? That game looks awesome. It really does. I... What what the hell kind of face are you making? Rob? Which what did you got the trailer I saw? Okay, so the trailer the trailer that you saw that you you didn't actually see because you were blinded by ignorance. And <laughs> it was blinded by light, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. no. Li- Go ahead. No, okay, okay. Go ahead. So, Save so, your so yeah, fill our dark souls with light. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to fill your heart with light. Uh, so I walk up and. This poor young lady, as I'm as I'm running up to see this game, because I thought it's on the show floor. It's between Bayonetta and something else. I think it was Hyrule Warriors. I'm like, I'm gonna get to play Xenoblade. Nobody's here. Did you really think you get to? Play? I ran up and she looked at me and she was just like, "You're gonna be really disappointed." <laughs> I said, "Oh no!" And of course, it's just oh, a no. it's just a video. And she said, "I've had to explain that to people all day. I felt so bad for." Her. So I watched this demo, and it's just a trailer of cinematics. Right. Which again, that's if there's one thing that I've really I, I said it last week, and when we get to Witcher Three, I can speak very highly on it because we got a 45 minute demo of actual gameplay. I don't give a crap anymore about cinematic trailers. Hold on, Stephen. I don't give a crap about cinematic trailers, and that cinematic trailer that they showed looked like a. The worst parts of Xenosaga, which is just incomprehensible nonsense, which could be a fact that I haven't gotten a chance to play a 50 to 60 hour video game yet, but B, it also looked like a dramatic step backwards from the graphics that we had seen in the X reveal trailers. That game looks like a giant step backwards. I think you may have watched the wrong trailer been known to happen. I thought I was watching a Metal Gear trailer. Turned out I was watching Cops. <laughs> it's happened before. Only because what I saw looked very consistent with what I, I had seen in the previous trailer. Uh, it's it's a very pretty game. You know, it's not PS4, Xbox One, next-gen type stuff, but the fact of the matter is their artists are fantastic and they are able to make great use of hardware. I mean, look at Xenoblade Chronicles. Yeah, that game may not push many polygons, but it's gorgeous. Yeah, they, and they use a lot of really interesting techniques to make that look. Yeah, the scale, like, the and scale yeah. is like that's the that, and that, like with Bloodborne. That's the thing that I noticed with Bloodborne too is that you know Dark Souls has great scale, but like Bloodborne, like you can see like cathedrals like miles away, and that's something you see in Xenoblade on Wii. Like you can see things miles away, and they use tricks to do it, but they're still showing it. Good. Yeah, and X is. You know, doing a very similar thing. So some of the things that stood out to me about X is... Okay, so first of all, I was I was excited that they actually officially titled it Xenoblade Chronicles X. I know that you think it's a silly name, but... Well, I, now they're calling it a series. It's the Xenoblade Chronicles series, and this is just... This particular title in the series is X. So Can, I, we, can we have 10-2 afterward? Yes. <laughs> we can have Xenoblade Chronicles X2, where Shulk goes on a journey to become a pop star. I really want Mortal Kombat... And Xenoblade to switch titles time. all the time. It's yeah. a rhyme time. It's rhyme time. I want to be rhyme time. Wait, 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 I need to say stuff. Okay, and then I'm gonna so, argue with you again. I'm sure you will. So, <laughs> so it's not every day that you get a, a, a confirmed sequel to one of your, or, you know, at least an, an, another entry in the series of one of your favorite games of all time. So 
that was really exciting. Um, so I was just really glad to have it be titled Xenoblade Chronicles. So I appreciated what, what seemed to be intentional references to Xenogears, Xenosaga. Not direct plot connections or anything like that, but just the way that it seemed to be quasi-religious, even though um, there was a lot of that jargon and stuff. It, I, I guess it just felt like it felt Xeno-esque. If, if I were to say that the Xeno series had any kind of overarching or recurring thematic material, like that's kind of what I think of. It was weighty religious stuff. Yeah, and, and, and which I, mean, I do, I do love that stuff. Don't get me wrong. I love Ava. Don't get me wrong. Right. So I, I like that kind of stuff, and I really like that the the main character in it is customizable, and as far as gender and um, appearance and appearance and all that kind of stuff. And another thing is I really like that one of the main characters that they showed, Elsa, is actually, she's female, and she is of color. Like, she's not a... Wasn't, a, um... A stereotypical, like... Charla. Wasn't Charla, like, yeah, a character Charla, of color? Like, yeah. wasn't she, like, Greek or, like, Grecian? Like, she a had, bit, like, the yeah. olive skin? Yeah, and I, I really, really like that, because there, there was some of that in Xenosaga as well, like, chaos... Um, so I, I appreciate. Oh that right, but chaos was Jesus though, so that's, he's a, he's an exception. <laughs> well, um, yeah, sorry, I, I, chaos is Jesus. I I'm think sorry, it was. I, I think it, it seems like it's taking some cool steps towards being inclusive. So here's the argument that Rob and I are having. Rob seems to think that just because there is a customizable main character, that the game is like Monster Hunter, so where you go and get quests and go fight monsters. And let, that, I do not get that impression. Whatsoever. Let me jump in the middle here. I I understand what Rob is saying because I feel the same way. I was worried that if it's a customizable character, they are jumping to the very lucrative format of, rather than a, a JRPG with a linear storyline that you progress through, it is a JRPG where you create a character, Fantasy Star Online style, and then you all get together, go out in the world, and kill stuff to power up your character. See they Now, on the other hand, you make a good point. What I think is happening here is going to be a F Fire Emblem Awakening style thing. Right. Where you create your avatar. He's present in the story as a character alongside voiced, predefined characters, and you are together moving the narrative forward. That's exactly what so, I So, you know, it's like Krom and the Tactician in Awakening, where, you know, the bad guy's there, Krom is talking, you can say things, and you're there. It's just you have the ability to create this custom first-player character, which I believe will tie into what is undoubtedly going to be some sort of cooperative multiplayer. Right. Well, well I could, be super I could see duper that. fun. I can see that, but yeah, as far as the narrative goes, that, that's the exact comparison that I would use. I would say it's like Krom and the Tactician. And the the cutscene cinematic the that they showed alone is enough to convince me that there is going to be a very solid plot to follow. It's not going to just be like go kill five elephants to go get a thing. Like yeah, or not, like go out and like, fight this monster. That that could be a thing. And if they want to do a multiplayer mode, then that then that's what that'll be. Mm -hmm. You'll you can invite other people's avatars probably to come in and help you with those kinds of quests. But as or far maybe as, they'll do something cool where the their avatar can join your party in the story mode and help you out. Like, yeah. you hired a local mercenary. Like, that would be cool. And, like, on the other hand, I see where Rob is coming from, where I, I do worry that maybe if it's not that way, it will turn into, you know, oh, go out here and do this quest. But I don't think so, based on that trailer, and based on just the history of the games this this developer has made. So, yeah. They're not interested in making it, it was kind Fantasy of, Star Online. It was kind of funny, too, because I was so down on the cinematic trailer, and then Kyle... You know, our managing editor comes over on his little tablet thingy and he starts showing me the 42-minute demo that I don't think any of us have really sat down to watch. That does look graphically phenomenal. So maybe the cinematic trailer was rough 
Maybe it was, you know, a first pass. And again, Derek, don't don't get me wrong. Like that, I'm just a little nervous because I loved Xenoblade so much because of those characters. As much as I got tired, you fear of fear change to the Xenoblade formula, right? I I, I worry that I'm gonna lose Rhine time. Like but, I, I really worry about that. But if I don't, then great. I'm the first one to say that's awesome. You know what makes me even more? I just thought of this. What makes me even more certain that we're not gonna lose that though, is the fact that. It's called Xenoblade Chronicles X. That's true. It's yeah. not called something else. This is clearly Xenoblade Chronicles. This is clearly uh-huh. meant to be a follow up yeah. to Xenoblade. I mean, yeah. down to down to the battle interface that you see yeah. in, in that gameplay trailer, it looks almost identical. Maybe you will be able to choose your voice, and you can just choose to be Ryan. Yeah, like, you can make it. Ryan if I can time. make Ryan, oh, good. What is Ryan's weapon? It's like a giant it's like air sword. sword. It's a. Isn't it a? I thought it was like it's a, like an airplane axe, axe. A gun lance or something? Or like a gun lance axe. Kind of, giant yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, a shield lance. It definitely it's was cool. a. It, it, I want to watch the forty-two minute demo. I think that, from a gameplay perspective, it looks far more interesting than the trailer uh, that they showed. The, yeah, the I cinematic would agree. trailer. I would agree. Yeah. I, I, I'm just excited to see more. I'm, I'm sad that it was delayed until next year, but I kind of expected that. And for those that were uh, wondering what the third game was in Mr. Steinman's list of awful titles at E3, it was Rise of the Tomb Raider. Rise of the Dawn of the Planet of the Awakening of the Tomb Raider Origins. Yeah, Revelations. 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 <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Yes. Revelations. Oh, shoot, there was one more that we forgot. and uh, Shadow. If, if you notice, Shadow is starting to crop up more and more in the uh, in the dartboard of video game titles. Just because didn't wasn't the whole point of the Tomb Raider reboot that we were going to get like a reboot of Tomb Raider, her becoming the Tomb Raider. So well, now we we're did, gonna, but now this now, is... now she has to rise. Well, the dark, the third Dark Knight movie was the Dark Knight Rises, and the whole purpose of the Dude. Dark Knight and Batman Begins was to show us the origins of one, Batman. One of my former students, if he's listening to this, will really appreciate it. Oh, that's freaky. Uh, <laughs> one of the, uh, as Kyle just pointed something out in the Xenoblade trailer that caught my eye a little bit, um, one of my former students will really appreciate this. When you mention the Rises thing, you have to realize that, you know, that giant hole in the ground was just a reference to uh, the well that he fell into in Batman Begins. You know, do you get it? It's symbolism. So, I, I don't know. Rise of the Tomb Raider was just pretty freaking stupid. So, Kyle just pointed out something interesting in, Zen- in Xenoblade Chronicles, and I think it's fu- it's fine. We're having a live special show. That in the, apparently in the gameplay trailer, there is like a Midgar-looking city with in Xenoblade Chronicles X that says the United States. What is up with that? With the flag. With the yeah, with the flag. So Well there's that mm, that may actually make more sense to you if you've beaten Xenoblade. So yeah, let's not, let, so let's not unfortunately yeah, I haven't beaten it yet, but yeah, I'm working it, on it. So no, oh good. But also if if you I'm in my bubble. Should we edit that out? No, 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 no. Not, I would never spoil it. Well, that would not, but I'm it, just saying that there, yeah, there's some thematic. And and then also for the Xeno Saga series and Xeno Gears in general, like there there is a lot of connections with that sort of thing. So definitely a uh, Midgard kind of look. That does I'm that is see, that I'm is yeah, Midgard. Definitely looks like I Midgard. More, more of this game. That's I'm really have to watch that trailer. Yeah, I think but, that that's that's the game that could end up making me buy a Wii U. So here, let me let, on that note, let me pose the question here to everyone. Uh, the general consensus it seemed like I was reading online uh, and around the show was that people were really impressed with Nintendo's offerings Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. how do we feel about getting a Wii U I'm getting one like I'm sure I'm getting a Wii U now I already have one you already have one so you don't have to worry about that I've been playing me some Mario Kart not yet Mario Kart because my ultimate prediction of E3 is that I'll be playing Xenoblade Chronicles X on something that's not called Wii U I you figure that Nintendo will not announce another console I'm calling it now 
Nintendo's not going to drop the Wii U. They're not. They're not going to. Yeah, they're it, not going to they, drop they it. They might. They might do a GameCube thing. Um, that could very well happen, and in which case, I'll probably end up with a PlayStation Four and a Wii U at some point. Wii U, Wii U. But I. I don't know. Something just says I to me. See, I could see Nintendo like somehow dropping gamepad support. Or I'm. Be crazy. It's. I, I mean, it's. It's tough to say because they really do have a lot of. They have been pushing so hard with integrating the gamepad with a lot of game experiences, but. I could see them removing it or making it optional for a lot of stuff going forward and then doing what Microsoft did and releasing a gamepadless Wii U. See, I, I have to admit I don't agree, and I'm actually glad I don't agree because I don't want them to drop gamepad support. I don't want developers to look at the Wii U and go, oh, they might not have the gamepad, I'm not going to use it. Because then nobody's going to use it. Kinect is dead. Period. After Fantasia and whatever is in development now, Kinect will never be used again. There's going to be the three dancing games a year, and no other developer is going to bother with it. It's going to be the same as the first Kinect, where people plug it into their computer to do interesting virtual reality experiences. Right. And and Microsoft by releasing this system without the Kinect, and and uh, releasing that that hardware upgrade that made it so that the what was it the GPU yeah the GPU is faster. They have acknowledged it. They have basically that, that kind of sealed its death sentence. I think. And they didn't talk about. It. All of the show. Yeah, because nobody is going to want. No developer is going to want to use. I mean, I'm sure that Connect isn't. Actually, I'm not sure because I have no idea about a developer. I imagine that Connect probably isn't the easiest thing to develop for, and a lot of Connect features feel kind of shoehorned in. Mm. Like in Mass Effect, you can call commands to your squad mates. So one so of your squad mates is a dog. I think most developers, given the option between doing something with Connect and having more GPU power, are going to choose the more processing power. So I think that by by doing that, they've kind of killed it. And I good for consumers who want an Xbox. I mean, one, I, don't, I don't. I don't want to connect. I don't care. So that's that's fine by me. It's, uh, but I could see what you're saying though. But Nintendo not dropping the gamepad. All I'm saying is that the, they're not going to kill it. That's my my main point is that they're not going to kill the Wii U. And, and I'm glad soon. about that. Not for years because they Nintendo's too. I don't know if I want to be not, stubborn, they, but they're, they're not like Sony where their financials are more dire, where they need to have a successful console. Nintendo can coast by right now, you know, make, release a bunch of games, get Wii U to an okay level. It's going to be GameCube 2.0. It's not going to sell well. You know, it's going to do okay. But I think in the end, people who have it, especially with the spate of games they've announced, and there's going to be more coming, I really feel like people who have a Wii U are going to be like, yeah, I'm all right. I'm happy I got one, you know. It's going to be the console you have in addition to your PS4 or Xbox One. Yeah, I'll agree. I'll agree. And I'll probably end To play up. Nintendo games. Yeah, and I that's fine. I don't think I'll buy one based on a single game, except maybe Zelda. <laughs> Let's talk about Zelda. Is there anything to talk about Zelda? Yeah, they're they're making. They're well, making. Cool. there's a few things. It looks gorgeous. It's open world, which I think to them means it's going to be a big open field like Link. I think it's going to be 3D Link Between Worlds. I think yeah, it's going to be non-linear. Yeah, like that would be awesome. They're going to don't say open world I think is they mean more non-linear. Yeah, they're going to give you like three dungeons. Sorry to drop. Sorry. Yeah, they're going to give you three dungeons to give you like three items. Then you are going to be able to explore the world, find items, go to the dungeons in any order you want. And it's probably going to be amazing. Yeah, I I was excited like everybody else to see a new Zelda game 2016, believe. Uh, and next year we'll get a big reveal for it, and it'll be cool. I'm, you know, I love Link Between Worlds, and I'm not down. Great on, game. And I'm not down on Zelda, and I, I forget who I was mentioning it to uh, earlier today, but like, we also have to keep in mind that there's such a long lag time between a lot of Nintendo titles that 
even though to us... Well, some of them, not Kirby and Mario these days. True, but like to some of us who are 29, 30, 27, and I think Andrew's 17. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, hey, I'm 18, thank you. Uh, it's kind of a big deal when one of these games come out because for a lot of the younger audience, this is their first exposure to it. So to even, a new one, right? To a new one, and and so for us, it might not be that big a deal. And you know, I will play the next Zelda game and hopefully enjoy it a hell of a lot more than I like Skyward Sword. I'm already hearing enough things to make me excited. Uh, Trailer was cool. You yeah, know. I, but I I, I kind of had like a yeah, I'm excited, but at the same time, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Yeah, well, it's, 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 I don't it's, want it's, it's so far out that I oh, it's I so far. Out. I, I don't even really want to think about it. There there was that interesting debate on the internet right now. Can I get fascinating? Can I get credit for that? Because I called that the second I saw that video. I said that kind of looks like a girl. And then I think twenty four hours. See, I I want to agree with you here, there, Derek. But I think this link looks a little more ambiguous than usual. And I think that's where it comes I don't think from. it looks much. I don't think he looks much more ambiguous than Skyward Sword. Yeah, I didn't think so. I don't know. I like, honestly, honestly didn't think think. see, I, I don't know. Growing up, like my friends were always like, "Oh, Zero is a girl, right?" Like in Mega Man, and I never thought that. So I don't know. Maybe I just have a different perspective on it. But well, one of the one things in video games that women always have a bow. That this link doesn't have <laughs> boobs. Gigantic boobs. Representation. Oh, but oh, oh snap! He this, did. He did go there. But this is not a team. Ninja Sorry, event. Assassin's Creed. I know it's really hard to spend three days making women character models. I was gonna say. Uh, I was gonna say that it's not a team. Ninja developed Nintendo property. Oh again, snap! So. Um, but but yeah. So like, it's an interesting discussion. Like there have been rumors that it's like Link's son. That it, it, it's possible that you could choose the gender of this link, and I think that's a really cool idea. So I, that those are cool ideas, but I think that's a lot of speculation on like a ten. I would agree. Play. I would agree. It's a lot of speculation, that, but it's 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 for me, it's fun speculation because like, and they are loving this at Nintendo. It, it just really yeah, they give the most Numa. vague like nonsense circular answer. response yeah. they were like we think it's a thing the thing is thinking about it is thinking importantly that sounded like Mitt Romney getting caught with the 42% argument like it, it was like well but, I did not mean what I said I did well, not mean what I said I just not meant the part about you hearing it yeah it was pretty terrible um, but yeah it, it's interesting I just I can't get too excited yet I have to see it in action it's far out I can see that and, and much like I correctly said I, I, we barely got any kind of announcement but it's cool to have an announcement it's cool to have it out there and they showed a little bit more than I'm gonna give Rob art. his props now so we can move on huh? there were no Metroid games announced not a single one there was uh, a Rob is happy to be right but he shouldn't be no I, well I'm not happy to be right because I would have loved to have seen a 3DS Metroid but I love I love the fact that what was it the second night when they were getting ready to announce Nintendo's uh, Project, new se- Project Steam yeah their secret E3 game Somebody kind of like trolled everybody, and what did they put up? Like Metroid: The Last Empire. Oh and yeah, Derek's that, reading the Twitter that pissed field. Pissed me off. Stephen is just assaulting. I'm me. I'm assaulting him because earlier in the day he assaulted me. I was not unbidden. What, yeah. did, what did I assault you for? For Being the, right? you were like this not Metroid. You're so wrong. <laughs> and so when the opportunity that you were wrong presented itself, I I, I one one thing I do want to bring up. Uh, briefly, and then we can move away from it, is I find it interesting that a lot of games are due out uh, in such a way that they won't get another E3. Um, Bloodborne is in that uh, category. Uh, The new Assassin's Creed is in that category. These are games that are supposedly coming out before June of next year, and they weren't playable. Unity's getting delayed. I 
I think that's probably fair. I um, think, given the history of From Software, maybe it's reasonable to think Bloodborne will be delayed, but I actually don't think it will be because I think it's been in development long enough, and I think Sony's putting enough muscle behind it that they are probably literally just blowing the roof off trying to get that game out, so I have to imagine Bloodborne will probably be out when they say it will be. You know what game is a hell of a lot further out than anybody thinks it is? The Last Guardian. Oh. <laughs> oh. That was the most... Don't worry, it's not cancelled. We have nothing to say on we it. We have nothing but to say. But it's not cancelled. There was like this collective held breath at the end of the Sony press conference, and it was like, it's either Uncharted or Last Guardian. Well, you know, that was the best sigh of oh. still happy disappointment yeah. ever when it was Uncharted. It was like, it's Last Guardian, Last Guardian, oh, Uncharted. Oh, right, it was, all it was right. like, well, all right, that's okay. not exactly what I wanted, but I'm kind of okay with that. Too. Well, I, was okay. exci- I was excited for Uncharted. Yeah, like, I was, I was happy. I was like, oh, yeah, give me the Drake. You guys completely knocked it out of my head. What was I saying before? Uh, Last Guardian, Uncharted. You said what was the biggest thing? Oh, what was thing? the biggest thing that you wanted to talk about? Oh, yeah, the, the biggest, um... The game that is further out than anybody wants to admit it is is uh, the Order eighteen eighty six or eighteen sixty. I think you think that just because you think it's bad. I think it's linear the shooter, and that's you know that's what, from though? a that's from a guy that likes a good linear shooter. Every you know what? Month. That's what it is. Wow, it's um, a rent. It's a steampunky renaissancey shooter. I thought you were going to say steampunk rent game, and I was going to agree with you. That game, now granted, the only thing I played after waiting an hour and a half to play that damn game, and I love their art design, and I really liked their gun design, it was kind of cool to shoot thermite and then light it on fire, but all I got to play were two combat scenarios where I had one piece of cover that I could really hide behind, and fighting a bunch of enemies, normal human enemies that were just coming out of one or two doorways that I kept lighting on fire over and over again. Press triangle to start a cutscene. Press triangle to start a cutscene again. Now, we haven't really seen the supernatural element. They showed a little bit of that at the Sony press conference. But yeah, and to be fair, like, The Last of Us is a different game depending on what you're fighting. That's true. I so. just, I was very shocked at how linear that game was. And it, the worst thing I can say about that game is it, it feels like a launch title right now. And it might come out two years into the life cycle of the PlayStation 4. So, that would be rough. Well, let's mix it up a little bit. What about the games you guys saw, like Andrew, Kyle, Derek, Rob? Like, well, let's talk about the stuff we actually looked at at the show that we're allowed to talk about. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Some Ky- people, I know Kyle and I, I saw... I've seen some stuff I can't talk about until next week. I know Kyle and I saw Tales from the Borderlands. No, no, no embargo on that. Kyle, do you want to talk about that a little bit? I know you went in and you were... So, you liked Borderlands, too. You had fun playing it. I had, I have fun with Borderlands, but I don't really care for the story or the, you know, the style of the humor or anything like that. Or the art but, design or the... No, actually, like there. Quiet, Rob. <laughs> Let Kyle talk. But after the presentation from Telltale, I almost wanted to play that game. Oh, cool. That's how strong Telltale's narrative elements are. Um, and there's even the cool stuff in the game, like you can loot and get money, and I think you can get something... In the game to transfer to Borderlands, the pre-sequel, yeah. and they're not talking about it yet, but it's interesting. Like it's like, do you loot this this guy and take his money? He's like passed out on the street. That's cool. But what I found really interesting is that there's this character in it that sort of speaks about the violence in the game because Borderlands and Borderlands Two are like hyper violent, really 
I mean, it's cartoony, but it's like it's very, it's very. I, I wouldn't say it's at the level of some of the stuff we saw this week, but no, it, you it's know, it's not, like you know, it's... guys get shot and they they pop and like and you know they about, turn to blood. It's about like being badass. Yeah. By killing a bunch of people, and there's this character that comments on that. At one point, they like they go through a, a big what would have been like a horrible fight in Borderlands Two, and afterwards he's like, "That sucked. That was horrible." Yeah, like so. And it's just a really interesting contrast. And yeah, especially because you're playing an adventure game. Well, it was interesting it's, to me about it. Used to be a first-person shooter, and now it's an adventure game. I like that. What and a jump from it's really philosophical. I, I really like that. That makes me want to play it. Yeah, like you guys know how I feel about the writing in Borderlands, and what's interesting to me is like, so the main character can be played a couple different ways. There's two main characters. There's Reese, and then there's I can't remember her name, but um, we saw a pretty lengthy demo with Reese, and so you can play him as like the gun-toting, crazy badass, like you know he's super violent. So the, the, the guy playing the character was like, how badass was that? We just got through that fight. And his friend's like, you know, what did he say? He goes, you can't say that wasn't badass. And his friend's like, actually, I can. That was terrible. Like, horrifying. Why would we want that? So it, it's cool because that's like sort of like a direct commentary on like the violence. But also it still had that Borderlands humor to it. Like, I believe that character would say yeah, that based on how they had built him. So it didn't feel like they were being cheap. No, no, definitely not. And what was no, interesting cool. to me is that you could totally play the other way as the main character. You could be like, yeah, that was horrible. Mm, that like, was horrible. like, so it's it's that telltale style of how do you want this this character to be, but it's not the we're going to tear jerk you like in, you know, uh, the, the, the Walking Dead, and we're not going to wrap you up in intrigue. Well, I mean, there is intrigue to it, but it's yeah. not the same kind of like intrigue as in The Wolf Among Us where it's very serious and very somber. This is like, you know... Yeah, it's it's totally in line with Borderlands, but I think it might challenge some of the tenets of Borderlands. Which I think is what they want, really you know? Cool. And it was, yeah, I was really pleased to see how it was coming out. Like, the whole time we were watching, I was, like, really interested in just what was happening. Like, they, they developed their characters really well in such a way that I was interested in what they were doing. So, in other words, Telltale is good at doing Telltale. Yeah, I would have thought. Yeah, well, we're all shocked, right? <laughs> and sadly, no, we didn't see anything from Game of Thrones, so uh, there's no word on the Ned Stark alternate universe thing going on. Uh, Kyle, you also got a chance to play Alien Isolation, and you came back way more positive on it than me. I thought maybe you could articulate that just, again, real briefly. Yeah, it was just like I, I felt panic, and... I didn't spend a lot of time with the game, partially because it was kind of frightening, but it was, um, I, it made me panic, and the aesthetic is really cool. It's kind of, um, I think somebody said it was like a, like a, a retro future, you know, yeah, a, a retro vision of the future, and that's exactly it, which is just, it's very in line with the movies. That's actually really cool, too, because that's like, that's how, um, the old Star Wars movies are as well. Like, it's, it's you know, now when you look at, like, the, the prequels of Star Wars, which haven't aged well because of the CGI, it's not retro. Like, everything's clean, everything is, like, well cut, and, like, a lot of, like, look at um, Prometheus to a lesser extent. Prometheus is very clean, very sterile. Yeah, well, I would agree. For a lot of reasons, I'd agree, especially as the spirit is just an alien. Sorry. But, like, the original Alien and Star Wars were cool because they had this very tactile, mm -hmm. lived-in, worn-down, dirty look, which is how a spaceship is going to look. It's not going to look like this hyper-clean Naboo Starfighter thing. I'm a giant nerd. I know Star Wars too well. Um, <laughs> but, like, you know, it, and that's what's cool, and I was glad to hear that aspect of it. Yeah, it was neat. Yeah, I think that that's a game that you have to really um, 
you have to become a part of it. And, and again, it's the E3 demo thing. Like, that was very hard for that game to yeah. give me all the information I needed to avoid the alien in such a short demo. Yeah. Ooh, hey, Derek. So, uh, not not to rapidly change pace, but we have, we have RPGs we can talk about. Uh, you played Oculus Trip. You're not sure if we cover it, but yeah. you had interesting things to say about it because Derek and I were kind of like, yeah, I'm not really into the goofy fan service stuff. Right. But uh, you, you actually convinced me that I want to play it. Didn't I, you steal Hobo's pants? Uh, he wasn't a hobo. He was that was actually a foreign he tourist. Was, he was just some guy. <laughs> yeah, he was a foreign tourist. And I also, oh, and also a privileged skank. I uh, I beat her pants off with a giant book of manga. Um, literally. <laughs> literally. It's, I wasn't kidding about that. So Akiba's Trip is... Uh, I was really surprised because, as we talked about on a recent episode, I'm not I'm not digging this, the Moe trend with uh, Conception 2 and this whole... Oh, look at all the cute girls being cute, and it's just, it's sexualized for no particular purpose other than just being sexual. Yeah, it's to titillate, but not in a creative or like right. narratively interesting way. So, I wouldn't say that Akiba's Trip does anything in a narratively engaging way necessarily, <laughs> but it's just, it's flat out hilarious. Like, it... it yes, like Conception, it doesn't necessarily... Actually, I would say that Conception does take itself kind of seriously. Occupus Trip absolutely does not. Like, it's a game where you, as the main character, get a spam email essentially saying, hey, why don't you come test this new pharmaceutical drug and we'll pay you in, like, rare action figures. <laughs> and you apparently are the type of person that accepts an offer like that. Right. So, so you go and do that, and then you wake up, and it turns out that the drug basically turned you into a vampire called a Synthester, which is how they localize it. And... You are de- you have the ability to detect other synthesters around town, and the only way that you can defeat them is because they are weak to sunlight. They're walking around town. You literally have to strip their clothes off, and then they burn up in the sunlight. And you take weapons like, like I said, a, a manga book, drill hands, like the manga phone book, a golf club, and stuff. And and there, uh, we spoke to Tom at XC, who you may remember from uh, the episode of Rhythm Encounter that he was on with us. We, we talked to Tom about it, and he was telling us how each of the game's weapons actually has an individual attack animation and stuff, which is really, really cool. But th- this game is so over the top and does not take itself seriously that I actually found myself really enjoying what I played. Um, I expected nothing from it whatsoever, but when you... <laughs> I was talking to uh, Brittany also from Exceed, who was demoing it, and she was talking about... She was she was explaining. She was like, "Okay, now press X to attack his pants." <laughs> <laughs> and then and then if you attack, boy, enough, if I had a nickel, then you can chain strip. Uh, so you can you can do all these different attacks where you're hitting somebody in the kneecaps and they fly into the air and start doing somersaults. And then you run up to them and you use one of your different uh, strip techniques like tickle stripping or telekinetic stripping or whatever. I'm a fan of tipple. Oh. It's, it's just I like couldn't even say it. Tipple, tipple skipping. Tipple skipping, it's, yes. uh, it's the kind of game that, I don't know if um, any of you guys are familiar with Way of the Samurai. Yeah. I used to play that a lot back on PS2. I loved that game. Yeah, because it's like, you, you look at it, and well, Way of the Samurai is a little bit different, that you look at it and you think it's going to be some overly serious game, but then you end up like, body slamming samurai into the ground <laughs> and going into sake bars or I just always felt like that game needed a little bit more because it was it so did. open-ended and it, nobody could play that game the same way. right so so Akiba's trip is uh, is that kind of game where it's just it's so goofy that you can't kind of help but be enamored with it and 
it does a lot of neat things in terms of recreating Akihabara, the, the Japanese uh, entertainment district, so well. It, it actually has all of the shops from real-life Akihabara created and placed in the places where they are in real life. And they have stuff like, when you walk into the shops, you hear the real-life theme song or jingle of that shop. Um, when you're walking around town, people give you flyers. And there are, you can actually view them in the game almost like a, a PDF in high resolution with all the information about each of those shops in real life. They have like music videos for Japanese pop groups that, that appear on the screens. They have advertisements for real life video games. and Like Akiba's Trip. Yeah, which is funny. And they had like a Mind Zero ad and funny enough a Conception 2 ad in there. Because the game is made by Acquire, so it has other Acquire ads. But there, oh, and there's um, there's an in-game like if you if you're a fan of Dot Hack, I always loved the in-game message board system slash email system where you could go and like go through these virtual boards and see other people's posts. Like, oh, I was I was in the the one zone and I couldn't believe I found this rare monster or whatever in Dot Hack. So this has a similar thing where it basically has like a Twitter, so people get on Twitter and uh, p- characters within the game are on Twitter and you can talk to them. Yeah, the South Park game had that, and like that's a really like ripe avenue for like comedic effect. There is just right. how inherently silly those mediums can be. Yeah, oh, you'll appreciate this, Stephen. Uh, I don't remember what exactly it was, but Tom was like, "All right, I pushed to get this joke in there, and you got to tell Stephen about it because he's gonna like it." But it was, oh, it, doge. was, it, was a doge. it was a Doge reference. It was, a, <laughs> it was some email, and it was like it was like like wow, such deals, so something, <laughs> such such. Such Dengeki PlayStation. Oh, that's what it was. It was like such Dengeki. <laughs> it was awesome. Um, that's great. I kind of want to play this. I game actually now. thought it was funny, but um, it's it's uh, it's definitely something that wasn't on my radar whatsoever. And after playing the demo, I'm pretty much I'm pretty much sold on it. Yeah, it's, I really want to try it. Uh, I think it's time to to get Geralt. Is it time to get Geralt? It's the Witcher. I will say, um, before we before we talk about Witcher Three, I just wanted to assuage everyone's fears, or your fears, your fears, or my fears, your fears. I didn't have any. I'll admit I had very few, if any. I was gonna say that Assassin's Creed is Assassin's Creed. I just I thought that the fans really wanted to know that the next Assassin's Creed game was an Assassin's. Creed oh, my game. fear was that we didn't see Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, which we didn't. So my other fear was that we didn't see Dishonored two which next year. Next year. Yeah, I think next year. Probably for both of um, those, actually. So, uh, Derek, we got to see... Derek, I'm so tired. Kyle, we got to see uh, Witcher 3. We got a 45-minute demo, and uh, I came out of there feeling really, really damn good. <laughs> I felt great coming out of there. Yeah, Gerald of Rivia is a great character. Mostly because they had Mexican Coke back there. And that was... <laughs> Mexico? Re- Mexico, yes. Uh, Coke made with real sugar, and that is just awesome stuff. But yeah, I, everything that I worried about on the pre-show, uh, like, didn't get to see a lot of gameplay in the last trailer. I wanted to see the game running. I wanted to see it open world. All of the stilted nature that I, I really had a hard time with with Witcher 2, where everything seemed to be separated by a freaking door or loading screen, and it just it didn't feel like that universe came together quite as well as I wanted to. Man, did they make out an impressive-looking open world. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that I just want to live in right now, <laughs> and I can't. I can't say what like, I actually want to say on the um, podcast because we're PG thirteen. But <laughs> let, me, let me assure you that if I could, I would. Audience, please extrapolate. If you're under thirteen, you can't extrapolate, so I win. Please continue tell to tell me, me more about Gerald. Tell me about it later. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, in in the 
You know, they showed the game. They showed a lot of gameplay that wasn't entirely different from what they showed last year. Uh, but what was really on the show this year was the the storytelling, the sort of subtle organic storytelling that they have, and they're so good at where every character is de- defined not by their relationship to Geralt as it would be in any other game, but by the relationship to each other, to the world, to the environment, to the geography, and to what's going on in the world. That's how they're defined. So Geralt um, might be, in one scene he was, he was like waiting patiently by as two other characters talked to each other. And they were talking, and they obviously had a history. They said things that implied a deep relationship between them. And the player, we didn't know anything about that, or only what we could hear. Because Geralt doesn't know anything else about it. Mm-hmm. So it sort of just immerses you and makes you feel like Geralt. Geralt is just as clueless as we are. Yeah. I, it was the It's the difference between the Dragonborn is the single most important yeah. thing in all of Skyrim, and the world must revolve around him. Geralt's so you're just... You're, in, you're an agent in the world and have yes, impact on it, but you exactly. are not the center of it. I think very few games get that. I think uh, Deus Ex Human Revolution, I think, really got that. Like, Adam is just inconsequential to certain things. Like, he's just trying to help... He's trying... Oof, ouch. He's just trying to help people out, and uh, so somebody's charm just went up. Um... It's probably Derek. <laughs> probably Derek. Well, it wasn't me. Well, I mean, I'll take the charm increase, but it, was, it wasn't my Sorry, priority. you're already badass. No, wait, that's your courage. Sorry, you're already bewitching. Thank you. You're bewitching yourself. Um, bewitching. Witching. Ha ha! As relevant. For, for me, it was like, I know that those guys can write great dialogue, characters, narrative. I really wanted to see the combat, which I think that they've made a lot of improvements to. It seems a lot more responsive. They got away. Uh, that kind of maybe that was kind of the thing of these action RPGs this year was getting away from the roll dodge, and now it's more of like a, a swooping motion that a lot yeah. of these games were using. Um, and that was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, really great combat options. Cool just, spells. I, I really yeah, love spells. The they sp- kind of inter- it seems like they're more smoothly. So they still they're still the signs, right? Like are the, yeah. the same signs. They have two different functions this time. So I think. Uh, the fire one, Igni, I think it has the normal, like, shot, and then it has, like, a, a area of effect. Yeah, that's, well, a, like, lesser extent, it yeah. It, that was just really nice to see, because, you know, I've spoken all, all the time about Witcher 2's combat, but the full combat mod that they released did a lot to, to really help that game and make Geralt feel better. Um, I actually talked with one of the developers, and I was like, yeah, you know, it kind of bugged me, the whole 400% backstab damage. And they said, yeah, on, on reflection, I don't know why the hell we did that. And it was just like, those dudes are listening, and that's what's mm-hmm. so awesome. And the jump that they made from Witcher 1 to Witcher 2 was incredible. The jump to Witcher 3 is just astounding. It feels like a great world. It, it you know, I, I think Kyle was a little down because they had, a, it was a very similar demo to last year in a lot of ways. Um, but it was, it was that right mix of European weird... And yeah, lots of the, player agency. We did see one really weird thing. Um, these three, it's like... really weird. Three, I don't know if they were, like, minor deities or what, but they were just these really grotesque and kind of... Almost, like, fairy tale-esque. Like, yeah. dark fairy tale-esque, like... Um, goddesses, maybe. I don't know. What yeah, I, I can't describe them. It. It's, but it's got their... Um, Babes? 
Uh, you wouldn't have called one of them a babe. I don't think so. I don't know. I wouldn't call any of them a babe. Yeah. I, yeah, well, you don't objectify women, and that's very good for you. But it was just, it, it was a really, really cool demo. It made me feel really good. And again, it's, I don't like open world game. Uh, well, let me say that again. I'm burned out on open world games. Yeah. Because they're all freaking checklists. Go collect the feathers. Go collect the shards. Collect your Baphomodads and your puzzle pieces. Yeah, Sorry, go, go Banjo-Kazooie. Go do all the quests. Jiggies. Jiggies. Do. I love Banjo. I did kind of like collecting Jiggies, though. Sorry, off topic. You gotta get Jiggy with it. You, you, need, to, you need to beat <laughs> all the quests. All of them. But they don't really feel like worlds. And I, I was mentioning to, to a developer that uh, Red Dead felt like the best open world to me because everything was all interconnected in a way that made everything necessary for everything else. And I really hope they can nail that with Witcher 3. What I saw was a world that was incredibly interesting and everything seemed to exist in that world for a purpose of fleshing out the world, not necessarily Geralt, not necessarily the overall narrative, but making and you feel like you're in a world. It sounds like what they're not doing is ticking gameplay boxes. Like, yes. Again, not to discredit Skyrim, because Skyrim has a lot of achievements to it, but Skyrim has, oh, well, we're in this region, we need two caves that you can go into because we need gameplay, we need content. Yeah. Whereas it sounds like to this, they're trying to design a world that is both cohesive and believable, but also fun to be in. Yeah, and they... As a consequence of its being well fleshed out i asked about uh all of their side quests and you know how do you make sure that each side quest feels different because in a lot of these open world games you do the side quest where you tail somebody you do the side quest where you get a little shooty bit you do a side quest where you do this you do that but then you also have you do them all again right and then you do them all again again, but they're harder or a different color or you have the grand theft auto 5 problem which is that every side quest has its own gimmick and then it starts feeling like there's no core gameplay mechanic ever mm-hmm. anymore. So how do you do it? And it seems like their core gameplay mechanic is almost narrative. And yeah. and they talked about how they would have guys designing quests, and if two quests turned out to be too similar, they would drop one. Like they wouldn't, you know, they go, ah, you know, this one, you know, maybe they're not trying to hit a certain level of content. Yeah, I, I'm getting really as much as I love Ubisoft, and I'm really impressed with what they do as a publisher. You know, I got news for you guys. In the new Assassin's Creed, you're going to have a mission where you tail people. You're going to have a mission where you assassinate people. like, And you're going to do a lot of that. And it's That's because they're just cranking those out so they can have one every year. Exactly. Andrew's making a really funny face at his laptop, and it's amusing me to no end. I'm studying Link. Ah, okay. He's like, I'm trying to see if I can find breasts. Are you looking for breasts? That's pretty much what I'm doing. Oh, fabulous. For me, it's not about his or her chest. It's about her face. Yeah, look, I think the hair. I think the hair is a problem because I think the hair. The hair is more girly than before, but the face. I think the face still looks like a male length. Other guys can't have guys can't have longer hair. The face is exactly the same. Well, they can, but it's not the length. But it's it's well, it's partly the length, but it's the style as well. It does it does look more feminine. I I don't want to talk about Linkgate anymore because after Linkgate, after after, (laughs) (laughs) I swear to God, if the internet coins that term, we've been robbed. They already have. Damn it! What? No, really? I'm really calling. I started this controversy in a hotel in L.A. when I said I think that's a chick. Um. But, like, I don't care, but I think what really annoys me is Nintendo's response. And we've, we've already been there. We've done that. We got the t-shirt. I don't care anymore. Actually, you know in what? many cases, we did get the t-shirt. Nobody, nobody should give 
a flying crap whether or not it's a boy or a girl and you know well, no I think, I think it's pretty interesting yeah and you know what I think there are a lot of people who would like to be able to play a Link who is just a different gender but functionally the same character because Link is not a character in any of his stories like if Link were a person with dialogue and motivations beyond you know I'm a nice guy slash gal in, maybe in this case you know it, it might be a little different because you want to represent that he's a different you know a different person but I think for Link to be a boy or a girl is about the same as making a Pokemon trainer a boy or a girl. It just means whoever's playing can identify with their character more if they want to. I think five beers in, Steven, you established something that Nintendo couldn't. In like three days of E3, you just said everything that they've been trying to say. Which is that Link is almost is a cipher for the character, for the player. I think Link is. is awesome. like Link has facial expressions and stuff, but they're meant to be like what would you do if the Dodongo rolled down the, rolled down the mountain and, like, smashed into you? What would you do if, it, if you know, sheep showed up and I'm started not... shooting oil at you or whatever? Oh, Sorry, right. I confused you. No, kid. it's okay. Wind Waker Link is a little bit more expressive than most, but I, yeah, none yeah. of them really have... None of them actually have dialogue or anything, so they're very... They're very much self-insert kind of characters that you get... You get those nuances, those, those little bits of personality that shine through, but... You are. The most if part, if uh, we yeah. did have a female link, I would like to see. And we discussed. I think we discussed this a little bit earlier. Of an option between playing either as a male link or female link in some way. I well, think, I think that it, could be really interesting. I think of it as like Pokemon. Like at the beginning, are you a boy or a girl? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, how do you identify? Yeah. I think this is how cool. I identify. I, that's what I want to be. I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I think, think so. that would be the ideal solution. However, I certainly wouldn't balk at the idea of only a female link, just because. Or or even switching it up and having Zelda be the the protagonist that you play as and having her be female, although I would like to see it like a female Link and, and or either a, and it doesn't have to be a male Zelda but um maybe maybe a female Link with a female Zelda I think that could be really interesting too and if the I mean and the dynamic could be romantic certainly if they're both female that's fine I mean is but there, I could is also there... I I would also like to see sort of like a, a more uh, a little bit more of an empowering scenario where. A woman goes on a quest to save a woman because you know she she loves her in not necessarily a romantic way, but like she just it tight. could be like a sister. I love Derek, really not in a romantic. Well, a little bit romantic, I, I think but not we, in a totally romantic way. I, I think way. we saw that in uh, in Frozen. That was one of the main actually, yeah, kind of Frozen. And yeah, we were talking about that earlier. Like we were. That's what was interesting about Frozen was that the main thrust of that narrative was not it was sisterly love. Yeah, it wasn't was. her trying to get Kristoff. He was there and they did fall in love, but like her main goal was her sister the whole time. She w yeah. you know, it passes the Bechdel test. It's not the, you know, they had conversations in which she was not talking about Kristoff or other dude, but well, and also like I, in terms of like the Zelda series, like it wouldn't take much to throw in a switch that says who are you? Cuz you're Link. So, you know, you identify cl more closely, and that also avoids the, you know, the, you know, how do you self-identify? You just how do you self-identify? You know, mm. you know. Um, well, yeah, my thing, my only thing with that is, and that's fine. I think that'd be great. It's just that up until this point, we have only had the one option. So now that's why I think that it would be it would be beneficial to be a little bit more inclusive slash just to change it up, not necessarily for every single one in the future, but but basically like the reason why I push it is because there's so much stupid rage over it, like. I can't believe they would want to make Zelda or make Link a girl. That's just so ridiculous. It would I want to be a nothing. boy. And that's I mean that's Except so Except making absurd. people feel more welcome. Like what a bunch of whiny little brats. Like 
I've been able to play as a male Link in all the other games for the last 20 years. I can't so identify I'm, as a girl Link. Oh, I want to oh, keep I... being a male Link. It's like, wow. Well, and, and I think that this is all related. You know, I, I want to get us away from Linkgate necessarily, but I think we've hit on a really good topic here, which is, you know, we, we talked about Xenoblade Chronicles and the ability to create a character. We're talking about uh, Lincoln's Link and whether or not he or she is a he or she in the new game. And it's, it's a he. But before we on. move off that topic, might I, might I steal your thunder for just a moment? Yeah. One last thing on that topic is when we talk about a playable Zelda, she's playable in Smash Brothers. Um, she has one of the Triforce pieces. Ganondorf is an actor. He's always an actor. He's an agent of force in the world of Zelda. He's making things happen. Link is making things happen. He has the Triforce of Courage. Why can't Zelda? Zelda has powers, but it's always the I'm in the background while Link does the, the lifting powers. What's to say they don't just write a plot where in this one, you know, Zelda is the character who has an agent who is the main agent, the ac agent and the actor of the change. You know, it wouldn't be hard to make yeah. the Legend of Zelda where it's really the Legend of Zelda. I'm, I'm also finding that, um, I, again, I think all of this is related. I'm going to try this again, Stephen. You know, the Xenoblade argument we're having, the Geralt argument we're having, the Link argument we're having, this all gets to, not to relate it to, um, to sexuality, because I don't think that gender is always related to sexuality, but, you know, we, we talked the other night when we were just uh, shooting the blank and having beers and scotch that, you know, wh when are we going to have the game where you are a gay character? It's not you have the decision to be straight or gay. Actually, yeah, I think it'd be really interesting to have. Like where they have, it's like a JRPG where they have you're just gay. the main character that that is who this person is. Yeah, and, and that's why I don't, uh, and I think that this gets to my trepidation with Xenoblade Chronicles and having the character creation. I don't really care. Uh, the games that you want, I play, you want a plot line where the character is defined. Yeah, I don't, I'm getting tired of being like, well, here's your cipher, Rob. You get to make your... Blonde, dirty blonde haired, blue eyed, you whatever know, your wonderful is, is you. Yeah, my wonderful bearded persona in every game. You know, persona, evoker. Pss. Like, I want to play a character. I'm tired of playing as ciphers or avatars of myself. Like, I want to play a gay character. You want to hear the story of Junpei and Chidori. You don't want to hear the story of generic faceless guy who fights a lot of monsters. Yeah, a lot exactly. of times the idea be I think the idea behind a the you know a fully customizable main character is like oh well you could play a female and get some empathy but there's never enough and you can role play but there's never enough there to really have that make make that effective it's the most effective difference. way to get empathy is to actually play a gay make it force you to play a gay character yeah, force you to play a I woman th who yeah. goes through those unique struggles yeah people people actually need to I I mean and they are games and this is where I think it gets kind of muddy because a lot of people want to have this argument like well, if I'm playing a game, I just want to relax and not have to think about things. And it's like, well, tough. You luck. can relax while you're playing that character. Like will tough, not tough crap, dude. You're gonna you you seriously need to get step outside of your tiny little box and understand that there are different people in the world that have different life experiences. And mm -hmm. I think that that being forced to actually take up that role in games can be incredibly beneficial and and very eye opening. Yeah, when I was not when I was nine, I had a hard time with. Uh, Samus being a girl. When I was nine years old, I was like, I don't want to play as a girl. And then I like became I don't know, an adult. I became an adult, and that was maybe like two years later. Where I was like, Wow, Samus kicks ass, and I well, love her. At least an like, well, I look at it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I look at it this way too. Think about like a game like Gears of War. We'll use some extreme example. Imagine if you played a gaming character in Gears of War. Would that change how you play Gears of War? 
Yeah, if he was gay. Like, who you're still shooting a bunch of monsters in the face, but you have a different dynamic now, so you could be experiencing a different story. So it's not like you're sitting on your couch and suddenly your life is being thrown away because you have to experience something different narrative-wise. That narrative is not going to force you to change the way you relax if the gameplay is the same. Yeah. You know, if you're playing a game that's, like, story-based, like we saw today, we saw um, Read Only Memories, you know, that's story-based. So, yes, the experience hinges around the story that has been defined, but, you know, not, you know, you could have an action game where the character just happens to be gay or happens to be a lesbian or happens to be whatever. Yeah, we need more of that. Yeah. And, uh, so, so to get back to the character creation thing, so I think we have a good topic and I'd like to revisit it again someday. Um, but character creation wise, I got to see uh, Dragon Age Inquisition. Uh, apparently nobody expects it. And, um, that, that joke is just going over like a lead balloon every time. Which I joke? Because you keep making it. I, I keep going. <laughs> I, I played Dragon Age Inquisition and no one expected it. <laughs> yeah. See, it still wasn't funny. You tried it like seven seconds ago and it wasn't funny. I don't get the joke. It's from Monty Python. Like, it's, it's the nobody, Spanish. No, no one expects you Inquisition. No. Oh. <laughs> there you go. Okay, that's pretty Thanks funny. for the pity laugh. For all the young people in the room. Uh, so I got to sit in a uh, about 30 minute demo for Dragon Age Inquisition um, and I don't know how else to describe it other than it is the best parts of Dragon Age 2 and Dragon Age 1. I mean, I think it's going to make a lot of people feel better. Um, Dragon Age 2 had meteor combat. It felt more impactful and Dragon Age 1, I feel, had a better tactical cam. I, I understand uh, our editor-in-chief, Don uh, McCarroll, who's asleep right now, uh, he was talking about how he was talking about how um, Dragon Age Two had a pretty good tactical camera and it just didn't get enough credit and I, I think that's true and um, what we saw was the meteor combat of two the tactical camera of one huge world very well designed um, you know they're they're not sending you to the same mansion over and over again to complete side quests. That looked really good. The character interactions look good. You can, once again, customize your main character. I know I just got done saying that I would rather play a fully fleshed out character, but this is what they're creating. Um, overall, I really liked it. The one thing I gotta say, though, um, I, I didn't think visually it looked that impressive. And I, I was kind of shocked. I, I found that with a lot of the cross-gen games... I feel like they're in this really weird spot where they, they look a little rough. And there's a real difference between games that are being designed from the ground up for yeah, the I, that's exactly new what consoles. Yeah. Like they, because they have to be designed for the weaker system first. Yeah. And then they're upscaled, basically, for the PS4. I mean, mm -hmm. I guess it could go the other way around, but I can't see them doing that because I, I have to imagine it's a lot harder to to scale down uh, graphical assets and it is to scale them up. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely... It, it looks good. I think their dragon design is a little goofy. Uh, I think the Dragon Age team needs some new art designers. It's very yeah. fantasy. <laughs> I, I think Dragon Age is not multi-generation. No, it is. I believe it's available on PS4 uh, and Xbox can we, can we get Mike to look that up for us right now? I'm pretty sure that that's a yeah, PS... Silent Mike. Yeah, it's an external one. Mike. I don't think so, guys. I think that's a cross-gen game. Well, while we're thinking about Dragon Age, you know... Andrew, did you see anything at the show you really liked? We'll, we'll put Dragon Age on hold while we look that up. Yeah, I just want... I, just to finish up on Dragon Age, I really liked what I saw. And I, I think the fans are going to be happy. I think that it's definitely uh, a return to form for Bioware in a lot of really good ways. 
I just want to get rid of the sourness from some of the wonkier parts of Dragon. Yeah, and, and the only thing I am so I'm so holding it back right now. I'm, I'm damn near listed a whole bunch of obscenities, but I am so sick and tired of this mages versus Templar storyline. And guess what, guys? It's the main focus again. Third I game. It was the, I thought it was like the rift in dimensions where the demons well, are get, from the thing. Well, guess what you have to resolve in order to get the rifts to close. Well, you didn't really resolve it. I'm so killed two giant monsters. I, I find it interesting. That's become their main focus. Like in Dragon Age One, it was like the mages versus the Templars was a side part of the bigger conflict. It was one thing that you were solving on the way through. Thank you. Confirmation. So it's multi. It's, it, it is. is multi yeah, it's multi. Yeah. While we're all thinking about Mr. Steinman being right, Andrew, what did yes. you see at the show that looked cool? Um, well, I spent a bit of time with NIS uh, yesterday, um, and they had quite a few interesting things. Um, I saw Fairy Fencer F. Oh, that was the game that was like designed to be a JRPG for the perfect JRPG for the Japanese audience that we're now getting as well. And here it is. I doubt it. I doubt it's going to be good. But yeah, it was it was very Neptune like, um, which is not surprising uh, considering it's compile heart. No, thank you. Um, yeah, it did. I can't say it really gear is so grabbed me. Um, it was the same kind of battle system we've seen before. There's no real towns. It's menu selection to move around. Hmm. Field areas are pretty linear. There are some diverging paths with treasure chests and that sort of thing, but yeah, it just there was nothing particularly special or stand out about it. Although the artwork was quite nice, the models, the main character models were good, and the the portrait art was fantastic. So, did you hear much of the music? Because I say I'm actually a big fan of the soundtrack. Unfortunately, the sound was off on the demo booth. Uh, Yeah, it's it's tough to hear sound the D three. So I always forlornly ask, and I'm usually told nope. Yeah, so I didn't I didn't get a chance to really see what that was like or hear what that was like, unfortunately. Um, I saw Natural Doctrine, which is a new strategy, a very hardcore strategy JRPG. Is that the one that looks like Valkyria Chronicles from a perspective standpoint? Yeah, uh, well, it's top-down, mostly. Okay. Um, and graphically, it's certainly not on par with Valkyria Chronicles. Um, it's It looks like a much earlier, less stylish... PS3 title. Um, there's a lot of a lot of hardcore strategy going on there that for fans of the genre could really enjoy. There's a lot of customization, um, a lot of opportunities to arrange your team and set up skills, and you can even reassign skill points for team members to suit each strategy, each level perfectly. Um, the problem is, though, it seems like you need the perfect strategy to clear each level. So it's kind of like Wild Arms Crossfire, where that has the, a skill a class system where you are able to customize but rather than tactics where you can do whatever you want it's there's a correct set of skills and strategies for this battle to win yeah like even speaking to the the guys showing it to me at the booth uh, they they said they'd spent a lot of time playing it and they were still struggling to beat the demo mission that they played dozens of times that day um, and that the strategy had to be executed absolutely perfectly um, so they they I guess I had no reservations in saying to me that 
it, you would, it was necessary to play each mission multiple times in order to learn exactly what you needed to do to beat it. Okay, mm-hmm. so you know if you're a hardcore strategy buff or the person... Absolutely, absolutely. But if you're the kind of person who wants Fire Emblem casual, you're probably going to find it insufferable. Yeah, it's apparently quite long, about 30 to 40 hours, with a, with potentially a lot of replaying the same missions over and over. So while that was de- it's definitely going to be something for the hardcore crowd to sink their teeth into, I think for more casual players, it'll be a bit of a slog... Interesting. So we're kind of uh, we're we're kind of losing steam here because it's getting late. We've been out at the show all day, so we're fading. Maybe we can wrap it up and have everyone say what the what something they really liked at the show was, and we'll we'll, we'll call it a uh, call it a live show. Let's say in a in a in a show where there were controversy about female characters, uh, Memoria writer uh, Kevin Mentz's new game from Daedalic. The Devil's Men features two female protagonists and zero male. That looked really interesting. Kyle and, and I were in the same. And um, you should play Memoria and play this when it comes out because that's one of the most underrated games ever. Oh yeah, Memoria is fantastic. The story is incredible, and that's uh. So I was we were in the same booth for that one, and I was watching it like turning around to look at your demo while I was looking because I the one I had was the Whisper World Silence Silence Whisper World Two. Which was interesting, but like I was looking over the Devil's Men, and it looks really interesting. So that's definitely something to follow along. Mm. Rob, I thought the host goes last, even though you've basically taken over hosting duties while I've gone into a coma. Well, you're kind <laughs> of in a coma, and I appear to be awake. It must be the, the beer. The beer is keeping you this up. It's like well, the opposite of what happens to me. Like, yeah, I'm like ready to pass out. Um, I guess for me. You know, obviously, there's there's that one game that I really really liked seeing. And we loved it. We, we loved, we loved it. it. But everyone knows um, that. The other two games that I I really really enjoyed. Uh, I got a really long demo of The Evil Within uh, at the end of the day, and I owe Kyle a copy of the game because I'm the reason he didn't get to play it, and I feel really bad. Um, yeah, I feel really bad. Um, I feel really bad, too. It felt really good to play that game myself. Uh, I'm glad they delayed it, because I, I think it's got a little bit of work to go, a little bit of optimization. It played a little rougher than I would have liked it. But, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you like Resident Evil 4... Just buy it. The, you're getting it. Like, I, I don't understand, and I, I I really had a good time with it. It was spooky, very atmospheric, uh, brutal, hard. It, it was just really, really good. I loved it, and you know that was really great. And then um, my game of the show that I got to play, uh, I got an extended demo of... Uh, the Kingdom Hearts 2.5 HD Remix. You, you figured it out, Steven. <laughs> I, I apparently had a stroke, and um, I started to love Kingdom Hearts. His, uh, his blood was rushing out of his ears. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, for me it was the uh, Xbox One uh, PC indie game Below. Um that game just something about it, it it's uh, it's painterly look the fact that every uh level of the dungeon takes place on one screen the super small size of the characters so the focus is on uh the dungeon and the enemies it, it does this really interesting almost twin stick shooter style thing with uh aiming your body uh and moving around and being able to keep your shield up it's it's very impactful you basically only have one hit point the second you get hit you start to bleed and you need to cauterize the room the wound to keep going uh very much a roguelike uh, probably not gonna end up covering it on rpg fam which which bums me out but it's probably the right call um but it's uh, just 
absolutely fantastic game, and there were there were a lot of indie titles. I, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, mention Ori uh, the, and the Blind Forest. Uh, that, cool. that that was a really good game with a fantastic art design, very Metroidvania. Um, anytime you can get two characters that I only just met thirty seconds ago interacting in such a way that actually did bring a tear to my eye in that very Disney way that that kind of animation can do, that's pretty special. Um, so it, for me, it was really like, and I got to give Microsoft credit for this. Microsoft had a great booth in that they had the AAA games that were available elsewhere on the show, but they had them there. And then they also had a wide selection of indie titles. Sony had a wide selection of indie titles. It was just a lot of fun to get so many different games and to have developers there that were very clearly passionate about what they were making. Cool. Yep. Derek? My two favorite games to the show were, well, the first one is kind of a gimme. I I was really glad to get some hands-on time with Theater Rhythm Curtain Call. Woo! Love me some Theater Rhythm. That was fun. That yeah. was a lot of fun. I'm surprised that you liked it. Um... Somebody's charm. Everybody's it's all looking. Charm Our charm going. keeps going up. up. Over and over. It's this one right um, here, whoever's phone it is. Absolutely, I absolutely can't get enough of uh, Theater Rhythm, and I, I'm excited to get the new game with the 221-plus songs in it. Uh, including all the songs from one, correct? Yep. So yeah. Including I, I DLC. Mean, it, I didn't get to do anything new in it as far as... Because the, the demo out there was just playing some songs, so... I didn't get to see the quest mode or anything like that, but I, I enjoyed playing that, so that's it's, it was already a must-buy, um, but I, I liked going back to the demo a few times. The game that really surprised me that I, I'm way more intrigued for now even is Read Only Memories. It is a, it's a, it's an indie graphic adventure, and they had a Kickstarter for it earlier this year. I backed it, um, so I'll be getting a copy when it comes out later in the year. But it's a, it's an adventure game set in... Uh, Neo San Francisco, like 50 years from now. It is. It was inspired by uh, games like Police Knots and Snatcher, which really intrigued me nice. a lot. Um, it's it's got this super cool retro aesthetic going on where it has these Sega CD style. Yeah, like Sega really CD cool. style uh, pixelated character portraits, and it's a game where uh, one of the the primary thematic elements is um, like data security and or. Uh, having an having an identity like integrated with data, so there is you play as a character who is a writer, and um, you have what is essentially like a combination smartphone slash personal assistant slash little robot guy named Turing, and he's actually the world's first sapient AI, and a big part of the game is you're trying to determine whether or not Turing actually has a soul or if he's just um, a robot that, that happens to learn and understand things by, by way of like automated, um, automatic processes and scripts. So it's a, it seems like a fairly standard game as far as gameplay, go, a standard adventure game as far as gameplay goes. Like you, you go from different area to area, um, you speak to various characters, and then you progress along one of four different paths as we learn from the developer. Um, and then each of those leads to different endings, and each each of those branches has two possible endings. I think did he say that? Yeah, and what I think or, was or, yeah. I, I no, think I think he said four endings, and then like some other branches within each one. He said okay. two. So so yeah, so that's. Uh, but what I really like about it is mostly the I, I the the story sounds very interesting to me. I really like the the art style, and this this is a game that's being headed up by Mid Boss, who is a, a new indie studio. And the one of the heads of that is Matt Kahn, 
He is the CEO and founder of GamerX, which is the, the first LGBT gaming convention. And so Read Only Memories is a game that will have some LGBT thematic material, which is kind of, it's not a first, but it's certainly not something that comes around very often. Um, one of the things that Matt Kahn talked to us about was that he envisions in this game, since it's taking place in the future, you know, it's going to be a time where people aren't necessarily concerned with things like sexuality or gender identity. Like, there, I think he, one of his examples was there was a chief of police who was like gender fluid, and that's the kind of thing that nobody's really going to bat an eyelash at probably in 50 years, at least that's my opinion slash my hope. Um, but there, rather people will have moved on to other issues to be ignorant about like, well, I don't want, I don't want my daughter dating somebody with cybernetic implants, that kind of thing. So I, I really think that there was a, there's a lot of interesting, uh, discussion to have about that sort of thing. And, and I, I personally, you know, I, I have a lot of investment in the, in the subject, but I think that that's something that I'm going to be interested in heavily in my own future. So I want to see where they go with this and I'm excited to learn more about it. So it was, it was a really nice, nice surprise and, um, to, to see something on the show for that wasn't like shooter, shooter, gun, gun, guts explode. And I know there was a lot of other stuff, but it was a refreshing change of pace for sure. I always have a different perspective than you, but I also thought it looked really interesting and like something I would want to play because it presents narratively something that is different from what we see often, and that's what I would like to see. You know, especially from that kind of game, it looked like the f fusion of like Gabriel Knight and like you know old school Lucas Arts adventure <clears throat> games and Snatcher and Police Knots, and like. He talked a lot about how he wanted the city to be a character. Like, you know, you know, you know, the, the, the environment in Gabriel Knight is practically a character by the end. And he, he, he emphasized that that was something they wanted to do. So, I mean, it's definitely something I want to play, too. And I have a different perspective than you, obviously. But it's still something that I find interesting, too. So I think it's definitely worth following. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm glad we got some more time with it because I, I hadn't really heard a lot in recent months. So that that was a that was a nice surprise. I enjoyed that very much. I, I'm my my game of the show wasn't anything really huge and on display. I would have loved to play Type Zero if they actually had it there. Ooh man! Um, but uh, I I wanted to I, I was glad to hear a lot of the information that came out about Final Fantasy XIV's next patch. But there there wasn't there wasn't anything from any of the big companies that was like, oh my god, can't wait! You know, gotta have hands on it. It was it was more of the little stuff this year. Andrew, anything for you that like really stuck out? One magical experience? Um, can I list some more than one briefly? You may. You can do whatever you want. We don't have any rules. All right. Uh, well, I really, I did enjoy Hyrule Warriors this morning. I really didn't know what to expect going in because, as I said before, I'm not a big Dynasty Warriors fan, but I was pleasantly surprised. Can you, can you say Dynasty again? You mean Dynasty? <laughs> um, Dynasty. Dynasty. Ooh. I also uh, played a, um, an indie game called The Talos Dynasty. Principle, which is a puzzle adventure game, effectively. I'm um, sorry, which one? The Talos Principle. Oh, that looked really interesting. Yeah, it was. It was, it was really clever. I played four different levels um, that got increasingly difficult. Um, and yeah, it was. I mean... It was very much find what you can use in your environment um, to make it through the puzzles. Like there was no inventory or anything like that. It was pick up and hold one item, move it somewhere, do something with it to open doors or lock press switches and that kind of thing. Um, but it was very clever. It made me think. Um, so I enjoyed my time with that. 
Um, and I was also really surprised by Splatoon, which is Nintendo's uh, yeah. new online, yeah, squid-based combat. Um, yeah, it was it was really fun actually. Um, running around as a squid, shooting ink everywhere, um, beating up other teams. Yeah, it was it was just really fun. Um, but I think for me. I was most excited at the show about Tales of Zillia 2 or Exilia oh, yeah. 2, depending on who you ask. <laughs> yeah, Derek and I went to look at that one. Um, and that was great. I wasn't even a big fan of the first one. I I think there were some really good things in it, but overall I was pretty disappointed. Um, but from what I've seen of the second one so far, particularly what we saw at E3, it looks like it's going to be significantly more interesting in terms of story and characters. Um, and there's some nice new additions to the gameplay. Yeah, I hope it lives up to some of those ideas that they were discussing. Like they did, they said it was going to have a bit more of a darker noir esque tone. Yeah. Um, because the the setting is a little bit darker and more mature, and uh, there's some like like you were saying, there's some cool new stuff going on. Like the main character can switch between three different uh, weapons, and he can transform and some. Yeah, other and stuff. on the fly as well by the looks of things. Yep. And you know what's interesting too is that I think the core relationship in that game is actually Ludger and um, L. And L. So mm. it's like a really interesting like dynamic. Like that's not something. I mean, I guess you sort of get that in The Last of Us, but it's an interesting dynamic for the main relationship. Yeah. So yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I actually I, I kind of spaced on it to be honest. I, I but I'm looking forward to it. As well. Yeah, I, I was really keen. And the choice system as well, I thought, looked interesting. Yeah, I think... Which it, is very unlike Tales. It so. is. I think it's going to be a little bit more limited in scope than they want us to believe. I'm sure, I'm sure. Like, you know, it's, uh, do you want to help the guy? Yes, I want to help the guy. Or, or do you want to throw a bus at his daughter and murder her? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't do that. Wow. That's mean, so go help the guy. That escalated quickly. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I think that's going to be the thing. They, they did emphasize that, yes, that, that you're not going to be able to change the overall trajectory of the story, no. but, but you will have... You'll have a different kind of you'll have different, you'll have different, different dialogue. Different cutscenes, different... Di- you know, Possibly different side quests or yeah. results of side yeah, quests. But yeah, I think, I think it's a really, sword. A really interesting step like for the series it. to take because yeah. it's, as far as I'm aware of all the ones I've played, very linear in terms of any... like. You never had choices like that, mm-hmm. so very traditional JRPG stuff. Yeah, so I think I think it's an interesting addition, and it'll be it'll be good to see whether or not it's successful and whether it's something they continue with. I think it will be. So they might be falling asleep. Liz, Mike, any comments on favorite things you saw? You could be brief if you like. I know you're sleepy. Um, I agree with Derek. I was I was just really excited for all the Final Fantasy fourteen updates that they gave us. Like a couple days were oh, and beating Leviathan that was fun. Oh um, yeah, you I'll guys see- beat Levy. Yes, we did. I also enjoyed Bandetta 2 again, but I do love Platinum game stuff. Hmm, I wanted to try that out. Camilla! I didn't get to it. <laughs> what about you, Mike? Theater Rhythm. That's right. That's Theater all. Rhythm. That's the correct answer. That's all we needed to hear. Well, guys, I think it's uh, it's about time to wrap it up. It is super late o'clock here in Los Angeles. But but, uh, but before we do that, I'm going to say my favorite thing of the show. Oh, no. Oh yeah, yeah. Go it's ahead. gonna be two point. Well, obviously, like everyone knows, that, like Kingdom Hearts two point five and Birth by Sleep. You know, I don't need to talk about those. I wrote a preview. You know, they're prettier versions of those games on PlayStation three. Uh, I liked Curtain Call a lot. Uh, what I think struck me most were two games we saw today, totally by accident, because I stalked you guys' appointments, uh, Kyle and Derek's. Uh, we saw a game called Elegy for a Dead World, which is this like, the the developer asked me what I would call it, and I said it's creative exploration. 
but you're sort of exploring a world that is not presented to you with any context. There's just music and your character and you're flying around and there are these nodes throughout the world where you come up to it and in the demo it gives you a prompt but basically it is up to you to define this world by typing text in. So, you know, you'll see like the background and you'll be in this part of the world and it'll like, you know, the demo said, oh, and then this existed until blank and then blank happened. So it was like Mad Libs almost. But in the full game, you'll be writing like the whole the whole thing. And so you go through and you fill in all these nodes for the history of the world for each block, for each of these three worlds. They're all based on British poems like uh, uh, I think it's Byron, Shelley, and I think Keats. And so each one is sort of thematically tied into this. And then when you finish the story, it gets posted on Steam uh, on like the game's like community page or something. So it's basically just this system where you are listening to music and exploring visually a world and you are generating creatively the story for it. And what I find really interesting about that is they talked about how originally you could just write plot anywhere, but that was intimidating for people because people are intimidated by endless, no restricted freedom. They don't think they can do it. But if you provide them prompts, if you say, oh, look, you're in front of a rock with a big T on it. That's all I remember from it. It was this beautiful cloud cloudscape and there was a rock with a big T on it. And there's a node right there. So the game tells you, right here there's something about the world you should notice. So it's prompting people who might not otherwise be creative to sit down and look at this and type something. And it doesn't even have to be good. But I just, I really like the idea of taking people who might not be creative people and asking them to do that. And then you have something interesting to read. And so there's no right way to do it. So you're just going to have all these people who have looked at the same thing as you and have interpreted it in all these different ways and reading it. So it's this really interesting narrative experiment that I found really exciting. And you share it online with other people. Yeah, so that, that, that looks really cool. And then there was one other game at Indiecade that I saw. It was Hack and Slash by Double Fine. So it's like this Zelda-like game, but instead of getting items and weapons, you get the ability to hack the world like with programming terms. Like You can walk up to a rock, and you could change like the status of the rock from right here. You could push it up five slots. Or you, know, you could walk up to a bush or an enemy or a tree, and you could hack it so it's like, you know, it's on fire status goes from false to true, and it catches on fire and burns. Uh, it looks really neat, and I think uh, based on Double Fine's track record of incredible writing and fantastic gameplay and just really just executing well in their concepts, I think that could also be a really fun game. Also, Kingdom Hearts 2.5. But since the host is currently asleep, we're getting he's, there. He's about half, but I can end the podcast. This was our wonderful E3 podcast. Oh, I'll let you end the podcast then. It's your yeah, so we only did the one, but, uh, you know, at least we did one, right? Yeah, I, I was... Uh, this was more I think you were, I think you were overambitious. I was underestimating <laughs> how tired it would uh, I would be and That's how so much we needed in to see. You had twice as many people as normal. That's true. Yeah, this was the true. Rhythmic Hunter Maxi episode. Ultra Max, Max Um But yeah, it was a fantastic E3. Um, you know, my first time at the show, and I, I just want to say, like, I love you guys. Like, this was so much, yep. so much goddamn fun. Um, it was an absolute blast. It wouldn't have been the same without you guys. And, you know, I can't wait to do it again next year because it looks like it's going to be in just enough time that uh, I'll once again have my faculty meetings out of the way and I can come here and see a lot of games and uh, I'm going to put a prediction out there we will see Final Fantasy 15 next year you're just doing that for me and Derek I I, I want to believe 
and water boys. So did Mulder, but look what it, look where it got him. Uh, <laughs> not on the show for That's the last dark. like three seasons. Well, he got replaced by the T one thousand. Yeah, I know. And as far as replacements go, that's a pretty good replacement, isn't it? So no, he kills you if he replaces you. Oh God, have you seen this boy? Uh, Typically, the subject being copied is terminated. We are done here. Um, <laughs> thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back to a regular podcast very shortly. Uh, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. Yeah, you guys know the deal. I'm going to bed. Talk to y'all later. Bye. Thanks for listening. Happy E3. I think you may have watched the wrong trailer. It's been known to happen. I thought I was watching a Metal Gear trailer. Turned out I was watching Cops. (laughs) It's happened before. Only because...